Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast today. I am your host, Alex Jones, and I am joined, as always, by the effervescent, the bubbly, the sitting in a new place, Jamie. How the hell are you doing? It's crazy, right? Um, It feels a little bit surreal to be tuning in, broadcasting live from a new background. Uh, The little box that you can see me in is not the same as it used to be. Um, And I'm finding it just as unusual as regular viewers of this program probably are. I'll be honest, Jonesy. I find it a little um, unsettling, a little disconcerting. It's become uh, a weekly anchor, um, your little background for me, and it's now changed. I can't imagine how it feels for you living in the background because you don't just have to look at it. Yeah. The funny thing about these little windows that you see us in is that a whole house stretches on beyond them. Um, And in my case, I was in that previous box that people saw me in for the, the better part of eight years. So, and... I'm, I was someone who, I don't know about you, Jonesy, as you lose your pillow, but I was someone who moved around quite a lot growing up. So I was talking to my mum, eight years is the longest I'd ever stayed in one place in my life by quite some margin. I think the previous record was probably about four or five. Um, and, and so it feels unusual. And it turns out that where you are moving and getting things set up, uh, getting a computer with Discord and, and, and your webcam and your mic all set up to podcast about video games is not the highest priority on a moving day which is why i take the blame for us not being live yesterday but i'm glad we made it happen this week yes but one day is is a little price to pay for uh you getting all set up and and raring to go um welcome to everybody who's watching us live on youtube if you are i'm going to give a shout out to some people right now i'm talking magni watchful butterfly the punk funky penguin and classy cat oh my goodness i can't talk today classy cat that's bad for a podcast isn't it if you can't talk at least if you're watching the live version on YouTube, you could see me getting those things wrong. But if you're just listening to this, it's yeah. going to be um, like barbed wire for the years. Well, actually, you know it's not that bad. What is it that, that there's that thing that people say that there's a certain amount of processing that the brain does during conversation where, you know, little flubs and mistakes and slips and ums and ahs get cut out. Like, you don't really ever remember how much anyone ums and ahs because all you're listening for is the meat on the bone. And Jonesy, take this the wrong way if you want to, but you deliver so much meat to ears around the world. Well, thank you very much. Um, well, I've got more meat for them as well because not Ooh. only do you get to listen to Jamie and I today, we're also going to be talking about the new game, The Finals, uh, and the reaction to the beta that's gone live on Steam the last week. We're going to be talking about layoffs um at playstation studios and we're also going to be talking about whether or not 2023 is truly the greatest year for games um controversial maybe not controversial we'll get into it we'll find out we'll see what um, each of us think and we'll probably argue about it because i i don't think we're gonna agree <laughs> uh we'll see we'll see i'll save i'll save my ammunition um, we are a video game podcast. If you didn't know that already, we are available on YouTube and X at Super Show Pod. We're also across all major platforms. I'm talking Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and where you can also catch us at PaisleyRadio.com Thursdays at 10 p.m. and repeated Mondays at 10 p.m. So there are so many ways to check us out. Uh, you can also, if you would like to, head over to our Discord um, and you can chat to us there. You can join that if you sign up to Patreon for as little as $2 a month at patreon.com forward slash super show. Um, but as always, if you're listening to this after the fact, you can join us on YouTube for the live stream, which usually happens Mondays uh, around 9 p.m. UK time. Um, but if not, hey, yeah, those, pod- those those little platforms, those podcast platforms are the other way to do it. 
Um, anyway, that aside, let's get into our first story, Jamie. Let's do it. Um, it's, it's not a very uh, newsful week. I'm going to make that phrase up, but <laughs> newsful. Um, once again, it feels like we've had quite a few dry weeks this year, uh, but we've managed to um, dig out a few little uh, tidbits, a few news stories. And one that piqued our interest this week was the finals beta that went live up on Steam. Um, it has kind of been a mixed bag for them. Not in, not so in how successful it's been. It's been a very successful um, launch, or, or not even a launch at this point. Um, but there have been a lot of people playing it, but it has had a little bit of controversy. Um, if you don't know, the finals is an FPS team shooter from uh, Nexon subsidiary Embark Studios, which sees teams of 3v3 go up against each other in an arena battle. Um, it is very stylized. It is uh, very pretty, I will say. It is not just an arena shooter. It is literally in an arena because there is a, the game is set in a holographic arena with thousands of people watching you. Think of something kind of like Rocket League, but as a team-based shooter and with thousands of little holographic faces staring at you as you're running around, blowing each other away. Um, you've been following this game more than I have, Jamie. You've been following it for, you were saying, about a year or so now. Um, you haven't hopped into it yet, I'm right in saying. No. Well, I've been following it because actually of the game that Embark Studios announced before the finals. And this is something that you and I were discussing prior to going live. Uh, so for anyone that remembers a trailer for a game called Ark Raiders, I think it was at the Game Awards, I couldn't even tell you how many years ago now, maybe three years ago this year. Um, but I, um, that might be you know, just time stretching out infinitely in my brain. But um, Ark Raiders was... And and stop me if you've heard this one before. It was that game that looked really cool, but then you found out it was an extraction shooter. Which I feel like if that's not the trending topic going into 2024, that game, hey, that could almost be one of those tweets that you know the hard drive that account, Twitter account does. Like, hey, that game you thought looked cool is actually an extraction shooter, and you lose all interest. Um, so Arc Raiders were one of those. It was that third person one where people were kind of you know, zip wiring across big sort of desert and barren landscapes fighting these giant robots that could have potentially been quite cool. Um, and then the finals popped up and kind of ate its lunch because the finals popped up, looked cool, and then Embark were like, oh yeah, the finals is coming out before Arc Raiders. You can probably forget Arc Raiders exists for now. <laughs> but I thought that it was the style of the finals that stood out. Um, as, you know, you and I are both in the video trade, professionally speaking, and every time that they dropped a new trailer, there had already been a handful of them, but I was immediately on it. So that's what drew me to it at first. It's an interesting one for me stylistically because uh, maybe this is unfair and also maybe it's just um, impossible to not, you know, look like other first-person shooters. But it seemed to draw, uh, from what I've seen anyway, it seems to draw from a number of the very best shooters out there. So, for example, I would say that there is some sort of uh, look of Fortnite in some sense around sort of flat colors and how some of the um, the environments almost have a slightly cartoony edge to them. But then the actual uh, the weapons and the players themselves maybe look more Call of Duty, more Warzone. Um, but then it also looks like you throw in some Apex Legends in there as well with maybe how it all sort of comes together and how it looks a little bit sci-fi, a bit futuristic. I'm probably... You could probably can't make a game that doesn't at least look a bit like one of those games because you're covering quite a lot of ground. Um, but I just yeah, that's the feel I get when I see people play this is like they have taken maybe the best elements um, from each of those games and throw in the destructible scenery from Battlefield, and you've okay, we got there. You've pretty much got um, the finals. 
So it's interesting you got to Battlefield last and through the destructible scenery um, element because when I look at the finals, all I can see is Battlefield for some reason. Okay. Even in some elements of like the movement and the way that the uh, the, the way that the weapons function just screams Battlefield to me. And but that might be uh, kind of a what's a, what's it called like um when you have a medicine that's not really med placebo effect oh, because yes. I want to say in Bark Studios origins are rooted back to former dice employees um at least at the very least the head um of embark or the guy who went off and founded embark was you know a big player at dice and ultimately a big player in um at ea i can't remember what his name is but it was almost certainly scandinavian um his name was probably jens with a soft j let's put it that way um and so yeah all, for me all i see is battlefield but i kind of also get what you mean like you know the the the, the fps melting pot is so broad nowadays that if we've gotten to the point where having flat colors, you know, welcomes Fortnite into the conversation, then then it's we're too far gone. Everything's going to be a mix of everything else for all of eternity. Um, but it's cool. Like again, I, I watched the trailer for um, I watched the trailer for the for this uh, for this beta, and there were moments where it looked like they were trying to uh, basically sell the destruction in some really kind of unique ways, in, in ways that almost kind of got into like immersive sim kind of uh, directions where they really wanted people or it looked like they wanted people to think outside the box in terms of how they use destruction to their advantage like battlefield as a series especially if you go back to bad company too i know you're a big bad company guy jersey mm, um I love like it's always company. and but that was like the game where you had an underbarrel grenade launcher and there was an enemy but inside a building so you put a hole in the wall right oh yeah um um <laughs> absolutely yeah and that never got old. Uh, like, I think that's still a USB for games if you could put holes in walls. But the finals is kind of going for a slightly different edge where if you watch that trailer, there's a moment where uh, you've got to kind of uh, defend these this like gold safe that you're kind of holding onto as a team, right? Something like it is what it looked like the objective was. And a team went on the floor beneath them shot out the um the ceiling for them but the floor for the opponent's team and had a guy waiting there with a flamethrower so that when they fell through the ceiling they could just immediately burn them and i think assuming it works in practice encouraging that kind of outside of the box thinking with you know you know destruction from a bunch of devs with battlefield chops um and a and a you know nice and fair like free to play kind of open-endedness i think this could be really cool I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, so when you actually like read what the finals is, um, like the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay, so we're talking about a game where you're grabbing cash drops um, either from locations on the map or by killing other players. You're then taking it to a banking point, banking that cash, and then at the end of the round, the end of the map, um, whoever has got the most cash wins. It kind of sounds like standard standard fare. So you're like, okay, this doesn't sound anything amazing, anything that, you know, revolutionary. But I think that the um the real selling point and what people have talked about a lot is the game is the is the moment to moment combat, which is what people have, have really got into. There was a, a good article, um, a write up uh, in Forbes by Mike Stubbs where he was talking about how it would just be a standard um team based shooter. But um, because of that combat, because of, like you said, the way that you're thinking of new things, the way that you're, you're utilizing that destructible scenery, that it just adds chaos. And that and that just breeds completely new game styles, ways of playing, ways of taking out enemy teams. I think the, the problem is, and maybe this is just me, for me, every sort of, uh, every sort of like um, Battlefield game, COD game, uh, like PUBG, 
they start off um, super exciting because you don't know what people are going to do with those maps and with those mechanics. And then over time, yeah. you sort of see people purify the formula about how to play those games sort of perfectly. And so they kind of become more and more, almost like a, a Formula One in that over time, racing has got to the point where it's kind of boring because everyone is doing it so well. There's no entry for people who can't do it. It's super high level and you kind of, you know, you can play obviously COD against players who aren't as good and stuff and then you can still have a fun time. But then you get a new game that comes along with the new sort of tactics are required, new techniques are required. I'm uh, actually, you know, saying that like um, Splinter, uh, not, geez, not Splinter Cell, um, uh, Siege did this, right? Siege oh, had yeah. a completely new style Rainbow of Six. gameplay. Rainbow Six Siege had a completely new style of gameplay. And so it was super exciting because it came out of nowhere and people were like, oh, yeah, this is totally new. And I think that maybe the finals is playing on that. It's playing on that. This is totally new. And we're at the point where people are still trying to figure out how to f how that game is to be played best. And because you're trying to figure that out, it's open season. Yeah. Especially at the moment, it's not even out. It's in beta. So you've got people who are like oh how how do we play this how do we perfect this how do we get really good at this style of you know chaotic combat um yeah and, and super exciting yeah especially when you kind of here in that sense like putting the appeal of the game back into the hands of the players for them to find because it feels like there are a, a much different kind of like gold rushes or land grabs going on in the FPS scene, or let, let's just say the shooter scene at any given time, especially when you consider the free-to-play market. Um, and on the one hand, you've got games that are trying to push objective-based gameplay further and further and further, and then the paybacks that come off of that. Like, we've already joked about extraction shooters, but we did see that where, you know, Tarkov came along, and um, there were other games at the same time as Tarkov, but it built up a big audience, and people looked at it and said, well, what if you made a less hardcore version of that? And there was a moment in time where people thought that um, extraction shooters or maybe PvPVE extraction shooters could be the new um, Battle Royale, for example, and kind of like take over the scene for a couple of years. That hasn't really happened. But there are some companies that are always chasing that what is the thing that's going to be popular in five yeah. years? Whereas this approach is let's make something that's familiar um, with even mechanics that are familiar and rely on the players to kind of find the fun inside that. Because, as you know, you, you mentioned F1, sports are the classic example that when you perfect a formula, it doesn't get old. Like, um, and I don't know if video games are quite as, um, like, susceptible to that way of, you know, you know dealing with the passage of time as, as sport can be. Um, but it does seem to apply to just about every other form of games or, or sports um, other than video games at the moment. Um, the, and the, I would say the other thing that I love about this, um, just talking about kind of the influences and how it's utilizing the mechanics it's got is that for as much as it is, you know, something that feels will feel familiar to a lot of Battlefield players, what Battlefield did over the years and whether it's a response to Call of Duty's sort of tighter, more arcadey gameplay or not is up for debate, but it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the time you're, you know, you jump into, you know, the, uh, any of the last couple of Battlefield games and play, you know, the primary game modes, whether it's Conquest or whatever, you're jumping into massive maps with multiple objectives and games that last a long period of time. And it felt like whilst destruction was still a, a factor in the Battlefield series, it couldn't be as big a proponent because matches were very long and objectives need to be held down for long periods of time. There is something about the idea of a 3v3 arena battle as quick and as you know snappy as it might, as it might be 
that's just like, oh yeah, it's a fucking free-for-all. Like, every building on the fucking map could be demolished because the match might be over in five minutes and you're straight back into the next one. So seeing those ideas kind of condensed back down into something a bit tighter also, um, I think, is very interesting. Not 100%. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and I, I, I didn't think I would I would jump into the finals. It's funny because as you were saying, like, with Ark, I was thinking... Um, that looked amazing. I, you know, it looked, had a fantastic style. The big robots, everything looked great. I was like, that's a piece of me. I would, I'm really looking forward to that game. I do not want to play this sort of frenetic arena shooter. But actually, when you look at it getting played and you look at the destructibility and you look at how much fun people are having with it and like the verticality of the levels and you put everything together, yeah. like, all right, it does look very fun. Maybe I will have to jump in and have a little blast and see see how it feels. Yeah. Um, so and especially like yeah, it's free to play. It's going to be on. It's uh, going to be out there on on Steam. So why the hell not, man? Hop in, have a go. Well, we'll see. That I mean, there's every chance that this gets cancelled the month before it's meant to come out, <laughs> and ten thousand people uh, get made redundant. They just have to. You just don't know these days, Jersey. That's unfortunately very possible. Um, but <laughs> hey, let's let's lean into uh, one of the main things that um, one of the main reasons I wanted to actually talk about this story beyond what we've talked about already, um, which is that there hasn't just been the upside, which is you know the. 200,000 plus players who've been trying to play this, who've wanted to go onto Steam and play it, um, with them having to implement queuing systems because, you know, it's, it, the beta's gone too big, which are all fantastic um, for the team, you know, and, and for the game's launch. Um, but there has been some uh, controversy as well because they decided um, in making the, the finals that they wouldn't just use human voice actors, that they would also use AI-generated voices. Um uh, I think if if you've seen any footage of this, if you've seen any of the um, the the uh, commentary sort of stuff that happens whilst you're in the game, you can kind of tell straight away that a lot of this is voice generated because it has that kind of quality to it. It doesn't sound bad by any any stretch, but it just kind of sounds a little. I I don't know. It's like an uncanny valley for voice, maybe, in that it kind of sits slightly to that side. That it's a little bit a little bit wonky, but um, we've had. Um, not, I was going to say protests, we haven't had protests, we've had strikes <laughs> and things, obviously, from actors uh, and writers as um, as AIs become more prevalent, as people have started to use utilise it more. And so people, um, voice actors specifically and other developers, were pretty uh, annoyed that the developers that Embark decided to use um, AI voice generation in this. And they have responded, but before I tell you what they've said um, to the response, Jamie, to, the, to the, the, the them using AI... What what are you? What's your take? What are your feels about the implementation? Of uh, do you know what I feel like? For as much as it doesn't make for great podcasting, my feels are still developing in a certain sense because I you, put it this way: I have a really kind of pessimistic and defeatist attitude when it comes to a lot of the ways that AI could even apply to sort of my life and my professional career, and I'm trying to work myself out of that and have a bit more of a spine, a bit more of a backbone about my feelings on AI. Like, I'll be to speak, you know, uh, openly, uh, uh, AI came up um, in, you know, in, in a conversation that I was having at work um, not too long ago. And while I didn't voice any of this, because, I don't know, it just felt like maybe the wrong thing to say and the wrong time to say it, I was kind of sat there saying, do you know what? I have already, in my relatively short professional life, been chewed up and spat out by multi-billion dollar corporations um, because at the end of the day, when there are corners to be cut, they will be cut. When there are costs to be cut, those costs will be cut. And when there are shortcuts to be taken, I mean, I guess I already made that point with the cutting corners. You already know what's going to happen. Um, 
the you don't get to be a multi-billion dollar corporation by um, not making decisions that are in the best interests of the bottom line of the company. And while a lot of companies do kind of try and find a balance between that stuff and um, looking after employees, because employee retention is extremely important um, to a certain degree, it doesn't mean that both things can't exist simultaneously. They're not mutually exclusive. And so when it comes to something like AI, for me, like the feeling has just been, it's only a matter of time until it makes financial sense for the people who are writing the checks. And once it makes financial sense, if the only issue, the only quandary that that company has is a moral one, then it won't be an issue at all. Um, now, if it becomes a legal issue, that's something else entirely. But um, yeah, that's my kind of weirdly sort of pessimistic um, outlook on the way most things are going to go. And I, I and, and unfortunately, I think that applies to a lot of major video game developers, major video game publishers. Um, I think they're going to be sneaky about it. I think they're going to find, especially in the short term, ways of um, uh, sort of circumventing a lot of the discussions that we're having right now. But even that is, I think, a reflection of the fact that I think there are more companies out there in the games industry concerned about the, um, uh, the you know, the... the <laughs> Concerned about the PR um, uh, like outcomes of impl implementing or using AI in a, in a way such as this, than they are concerned about the ethical reasons, like or to use AI or not a use AI when it comes to something like voice acting. Um, and that kind of, and and oh, I will say that that does suck. Um, there are lots of extremely hardworking, talented voice actors in the industry that have been in the industry for a long time that are breaking into the industry at any given moment. And when I think back to the narratives and the scripts and the lines that they have brought to life in the decades now that i've been playing video games um i don't i don't want to lose that i don't know if it will it, it, and i don't know it's going to be one of those weird situations where maybe in the future ai does become you know ab able to produce voice lines that are indistinguishable oh jamie's frozen I hope it, I don't know if it's Jamie or me. We'll uh, hopefully get him back. Oh, I'm back. Sorry, you are back. New house, new internet. These things happen. I don't. So I uh, never know if it's me or you. This is nowhere to know. Hey, but Ian, you're the one that's streaming onto the internet. So if people can still see you and hear you, then it's then it's always me. Um, uh, where, what was I saying? Uh, you were saying that uh, about um. The actors getting um about the industry and if there's a point when the uh in use indistinguishable to utilize uh, uh ai from voice actors and oh yeah i know what i was going to say is it's almost going to be like a bit like you know how quentin tarantino has this um almost fetishistic relationship with film um film. well feet feet <laughs> and film or better yet feet on film uh, in mostly in the case of his body of work um and other directors too but it, you know, we've gone to the case where the point where there are a lot of um, editors and and color artists and and um, even sometimes uh, directors of photography who are trying to make the case that you can grade digital footage to look indistinguishable from film. Right. Um, but there are still directors that sit there with their arms folded who go like, "No, there's a textural quality. There's a like, there's a je ne sais quoi that only I can sense." And it, you, you could put the two in front of them. Quentin Tarantino would not be able to tell. On like if you put the two in front of, but he if he thinks he can feel it, then it, then it becomes real to him. Same and with I vine, right? If, it's the same uh, with the vine. Totally, people. yeah, totally. 
And I wonder if we're heading towards that direction when it comes to um, either real performances or real writing or... Fuck it. There's some people even going to probably claim it for real coding. Um, as, as weird as that sounds. But I like that's the way they want it to be. They're old school. Um, and I, 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 maybe I'll end up being that way. But for the time being, I just kind of... I'm sitting on the edge slightly frightened. Um, can I be not... Can I be controversial and not fence city at all and say i'm totally on the side of utilizing ai like i i'm i can see why uh when it doesn't sound right and it detracts from a game which which i haven't obviously played the finals yet um if i played it and it was noticeably distracting from my experience then i then i would say yeah like they shouldn't have used ai they should have used voice actors um yeah however that having been said if when I play it, it sounds fine, if a little wonky, you know, sometimes because of how, you know, what it's actually doing, then I think it's absolutely fine. Like, I, I'm one of the people who thinks that you can't really stop the march of technology and it's inevitable that it's going to become indistinguish, indistinguishable from uh, human voice actors and it's going to be so much better in the long run if you are someone who's playing a video game and you want a game which is adaptive. Think of like open world games with NPCs who can literally have thousands upon thousands of like immediately generated responses to you and you never hear the same line again you never hear the same um you know oh they shot alex in des in uh, the division because actually they can say they shot phil they shot frank they shot mike like they can they can shoot a thousand different people because um it's just done on the fly like i i i think it is inevitable and if it's inevitable it has to start somewhere and whilst hey i've worked as a voice actor like i've literally done i've been paid to, to to speak um into a microphone and as that person i still am not going to say that this is uh, something that i i i really don't like like it's it's inevitable it's gonna happen it's gonna be really good for a lot of people as well if you're a content creator and you want to add voice to stuff um ai voice generation is becoming very easy to use it's getting very good and are we surprised that people are using it in video games at this sort of level? Not at all. Um, I, I will let me just. Cl oh, sorry, you, are you going to say something? I've got questions, but I, you should finish a foot point first. Oh, I was actually going to move on to just clarify what uh, Embark have actually said themselves. Uh, just get a little more into that. So, no, go for it. Question away. Well, well, the first the first question I have, and I think I can guess your answer just based on sort of your your, your perspective in general. But will any of your feelings change? when you the day comes that you're called into an office and you and I both know what you do for a living and your manager says, yeah, the, the, the AI that could theoretically do your job has gotten to the point where it does it well enough that we don't need you anymore. And you at that point are not just unemployed, but perhaps even unemployable. Does any of your, do any of your feelings on this change? No, but no, because I, in the same way that, um, you know, what did, what did stable hands do when they stopped using horses to pull, you know, for, th for thousands of years, we used horses for transport. And then 150 years ago, uh, we sacked all that off and had cars and buses and vans. Like what did all the stable yes. hands do? What did the grooms but do? But, but cars and buses and vans needed to get built by, it needed to get designed and engineered and manufactured. Yeah. So, so the AI, like obviously what I do, if the, the answer there is, someone then needs to make the ai systems to make them you know to do all of that development to work for machine learning like I, there's always going to be jobs or do you mean you, do you mean when a time you, when you, those jobs don't even exist 
Well, I mean, that's maybe getting a little bit too far ahead. I just don't know if I can imagine, like, your, you know, your wife coming to you into the living room with a mortgage bill and you shrugging and just saying, eh, it's technology. What's my supposed to do about it? No, no, hold on. So, so there's two different things here, though. And I don't, I don't think that this is, um, I don't think there, you can't hold this opinion at the same time. My general thought for the whole of technology is that it's going this way. I don't really have anything against people using it. If I lost my job specifically to an AI, I would still be annoyed, upset, and blah, 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 and all those okay. things. But that's not to suggest that I wouldn't. But at the same time, I haven't... In this instance, I haven't lost my... It's the same kind of thing as when you talk about the uh, cashiers at a supermarket. When I was a kid, there was like twenty, you know, tens of cashiers at supermarkets. Now there's like two, and they're all automatic scan yourself things. Yeah. Um, if you said to me, uh, you know, if you, I used to work at, I used to uh, be a cashier at a shop when I was, you know, when I was younger. If you said to me, had I lost my specific job that to a till that did it itself, would I have been annoyed? Yes. Am I annoyed that the the system has gone like that in general? Like, no. I've, I think it's par for the course i think it's gonna happen and i i'm i'm not i'm not mad about it as a video game as somebody who plays video games as well like i can imagine the kinds of games we'll see in the future because of this technology like anyone who's had a game where you're not called uh the most standard like you're not called john smith and you go and play fifa or something like that and it's like oh smith's got the ball imagine that your name is a little bit more um uh, a little bit rarer than smith now you can suddenly have my name is uh, Joe Rohan, and then they're going to be like, "Oh, Joe Rohan, what a wonderful pass!" Like uh, everyone's going to love but it. But then I would caution that because it's to say I think some elements <laughs> of uh, you know video game development, and some video game development pipelines will be either improved or made more efficient, or you know th th there'll be a, essentially a broader range of resources available to them, even if it is all through the funnel of AI to make the stuff that you just outlined possible. But I would caution like putting that under the blanket and i'm not suggesting you were necessarily doing that but just anyone who's maybe thinking this way of video games sort of unanimously getting better or bigger as a result of you know that technology being leveraged i i, I sometimes think of it did you ever have that thing either growing up or now or, or recently or whatever it was where you think back to when you were um you know you, you broke out and you got your first job and you were on 16 grand or 18 grand a year and you somehow paid your rent and paid all your bills and fed yourself and clothed yourself and washed yourself and now you're sitting there going i'm on x as many times I'm, I'm on this much more than that i have that much more in my life year on year and it still all goes away and like right you could give me 10 grand more next year and by the end of next year i'll, I'll find a way to spend it all and my life it will change but it might not get noticeably better in some areas and i still think video games are going to be the same like you just oh. talked about like the Joe Joe Rohan example. <laughs> yes, like if 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 EA um managed to get like a, a an AI generated Martin Tyler so he could say every single name in the world when you play EAFC, that would be great. But there are still going to be the same fundamental problems that people think plague that series or that that game now. Um, either uh, because goes back to, and maybe this is me being too I don't know cynical. But I think it still goes back to what I was saying before, which is that there will never not be corners to cut when it comes to how much people are paying for something, how much time people are allowing for something to happen, how many resources people are allowing. It's something that um, the games industry is always butting up against, and that's not going to change when people are out of the, uh, the equation. Uh, some some games will get worse, like with AI. Yeah. Some AI will make some games and some studios worse because what they will do is they will attempt to cut corners 
uh, by utilizing AI, and it won't be good AI, it'll be bad AI, and it will be AI which... So for, uh, so let me clarify my position, because I, I, maybe I didn't make clear. So in a game like the finals, the their utilization of AI voice generation is kind of like a, a game show host kind of talking to another game show host and uh, talking about specific you know, scenarios. They've actually, they say um, themselves that it's like effectively text-to-speech that they're using to comment on specific things that are happening in-game. So you end up with something like, um, wow, Team Blue made a great play there. That's the kind mm. of level you're getting. If, for example, um, Naughty Dog announced that they were making uh, another um, uh, Uncharted game, and they said, oh, when we're going to use AI voice generation for the whole thing. Nathan Drake is now going to be done is in voice. Or you're going to get yourself another Last of Us, right? And they're going to use um, uh, AI voice generation. It would be horrendous. Like, it would make the would make the whole thing so much worse because it's just not there. And I think it's going to be a long time before it can do the nuance of two characters talking to one another um, to the same level. Do you, do you think... And, and maybe this is me being slightly short-sighted in the, in the capabilities of AI going forward, but do you think it will ever be all the way there when it comes to things that are in the realm of performance? Because do you not think there's always going to be an element or something that a human can tap into in a way that AI kind of never can? And no matter how examples, how many examples or references you feed an AI to like, this is what someone sounds like when they're sad. This is what someone sounds like when they're crying because they've lost a relative. There'll always be a human... Do you think there is a human layer that can never be replicated that might save performing arts from AI? I'm, I'm going to say something which is which is going to kind of... Uh, may, maybe a, a, a sour take, which is, I agree with you. Like I think there yeah. is a, an element of uh, the human expression which AI will not be very good at, um, at doing, even in, say, like 10 years' time when it's amazing and it can do loads more. The what's gonna be uh, what's gonna suck is that because most people's interaction with that level of human emotion. So, for example, like The Last of Us, that level of human emotion, um, people will be so used to uh, an AI being the thing oh, that God, does it no. that people aren't gonna know that they're not getting uh, like a real human emotive take. They're gonna think that the AI way of doing it is is accurate. Yeah, but. And they're, they're going to like, no, but that's well in their lives, and they're still going to f- know what it is to feel sadness, and they're still going to know what there's it's sadness, like to there's have sadness, an argument. There's sadness, and there's like uh, half of your village being eaten by zombies, and your uh, wife is infected, and you had to like, and she sacrificed herself. And you know what I mean? There's levels that, unfortunately, a lot of people in the world will know, but most won't. And I think most people that play video games won't, and there would be like. Yeah, like that's that's how that sounds, and it'll be the AI kind of doing a, a slightly bad impression of a of a, a distraught um, you know mother whose like kid has just been died in a zombie uh, outbreak, and then it'll be an AI doing it, and we'll all go, yeah, that sounds right, because we because we've gotten so used to it. I mean, you and I are hopefully old enough now that we'll be exempt from that, because I can tell you, even just the idea of that happening just doesn't really compute with me at the moment and there are certain er- elements of uh, of performance that just feel too intrinsically human for them to ever be replaced like again this is someone might point throw this back in my face and say hey, you play video games and you play narrative driven video games and which means you have been mo- moved to tears by computer generated imagery and you're 100% right have been moved to tears by uh, from a visual perspective entirely computer generated imagery um 
but I still think that there is like a, especially as like when it's it's weird put it this way it's weird that advancements in AI are backing or almost going back to back in video game terms with massive advancements in performance capture and the availability and the usage of performance capture. Mm -hmm. It's like we've just got better than we ever have before about putting actors on sound stages and capturing performances and facial expressions and, um, and, and, and emotions better than we ever have before. And now we're at risk of losing them. I do still hope that there's something that, especially in the Put it this way, I hope it takes AI an incredibly long time to even come close to capturing what um, actors, for example, are able to to do um, with I, the right material. I, I I agree with you, and I think the reality of... I, 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 maybe there's another reason to say don't, I don't think people should be too worried about AI in general. Like When you're talking about those big performances with multiple actors and they've done the, they've done the um, mocap and all that sort of stuff, I, I kind of think a lot of companies would just say we can get we can, they they can probably use ai to help with like enhancements and things like that if they need to from performances from that sort of direction but actually what would be the point in in having an actor do the mocap uh you know do the physical uh actions to get it really on point you know in the big sound stage and then to just like go oh yeah but we don't need you for the voice we're gonna get an ai to do it. like why would you bother you've got a human who can already yeah. nail it and give a really emotive performance and then kind of bring something else i kind of think a lot of places would say we're not going to bother like getting ai to do it we don't need to what you'll probably find is ai will be the, the sort of thing that was utilized uh in more mid-level productions or um, so, so, for example, yeah. um, uh, uh, the uh, bit from Embark, what they actually, when they responded to the criticism about using AI, what they, um, so they've kind of gone back on what they said originally. I'll just give you a quick outline of what they said. So, as we said already, they they talked about the fact that they've utilised the AI um, uh, for commentary. So they're trying to react, you know, in real time. So they call that TTS, like text to speech. So when a team does something particularly well, they want to respond to it, they use the AI. And they've said that when they have multiple actors who need to interact with one another, I guess like cutscenes, things like that, um, they've used actors. Originally, they didn't, they said that wasn't the case. They said they were using AI voice generation for the entire thing. And the only things they used voice, actual voice actors for were grunts and um you know sort of like uh non-verb okay i don't know what you call it like non-word sounds for example because the a text-to-speech couldn't do that you couldn't put like into a t into a text-to-speech <laughs> system oh uh, yeah or have it get hit and go like you, so they use voice actors but they said that those roles would fit uh filled out by the uh development team anyway and they were not paid voice actors they were actual people who just worked there who were doing it right um, but they've rolled that back, and which is why they're now saying, "Oh no, we use voice actors for some of the stuff which doesn't make sense." Um, but yeah, I think in this kind of game, like Texas Speech, does seem to totally make sense um, to, to utilize yeah. that. But yeah, it, it's, it's not. I was going to say it's not hard to imagine a a future like a, a futuristic game show. Let's call it for want of a better way of putting it that has like some kind of like robot or AI announcer, you know, even within the context of the game's lore or narrative or whatever you want to That's put it. That's a great like, point. I didn't if you told me that if you told me there was an eighties action movie that was about a like a futuristic game show that takes place in the year three thousand that was hosted by a robot, I'd be like, Yeah, of course there is. Because that's the way we envision the future to a certain extent. It just uh, so that happens is such that now a good point. The, the way we envision the future and the actual future are butting heads. 
<laughs> no, because yeah, absolutely. If you put it into the law, then then it's not going to be jarring when you hear it. You're going to be yeah, totally. There's an AI uh, computer, um, whatever, like a commentator, and and we know that because in the law, yeah, it won't make sense if you're making um you know a World War Two game shooter, and then you've got like a commander comes onto the right. field and is like some weird jank AI voice. That would be that would be jarring. Wouldn't sound very good. And yeah, but no, I I think it, I think. In a lot of contexts, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to make um, it's going to make games better. In some, it's going to make games worse because cheapo um, developers who try and make a buck, as that we've talked about a few in the last sort of few weeks, will utilize it to try and you know because they'll think it will make their product better and it will make their product worse. Um, and we're going to see all of those in the years to come until it gets so good that we can't even tell the difference, and then we'll all cry because AI is going to take over everything anyway. So there yeah. You go. Well, when we get to that point, we won't be podcasting anymore. We'll have been replaced by AI, and it will be an AI version of the Super Show, and who will give a shit at that point? <laughs> I know some people that will give a shit, Jamie. Well, if you got replaced by AI? If both of us got replaced by AI, by, by AI um, it's our Patreons. Oh, see, I, I don't know, if because they, they'd all of a sudden start saving money. I think they'd actually quite like it. <laughs> But maybe they'd be annoyed because they think it's actually us and they find out that it's an AI and they're still uh, paying, you know, into Patreon and then they find out it's just a couple of computer computers just sitting there. Oh, twiddling. That, that, I mean, though, for anyone worried, that's not going to happen to us, but that will start happening. There will, the, we are within like a, a single digit number of years away from there being a giant controversy around a famous content creator with millions of followers who people find out isn't real. SS sniper. I mean, it's probably already. Oh no, she's she, uh, she's unfortunately too real, Jancy. The nice thing about AI is it can't come to your house and talk to your address. <laughs> That's been... uh, yet. <laughs> one day, yet. One day it will, and it won't even oh, be outside. God. It will come straight in the plug socket, and it will be in your house. Um, but no, I wanted to give a shout out to the patrons. We we talked about that a lot longer than I thought we were going to. That's good because I was worried this week that we we're going to struggle <laughs> for content. But we ended up speaking about AI for uh, for that length of time. Um, but no, I do want to say thank you to some patrons. But first of all, actually, I'm going to give a shout out to some people in chat because some other people have joined us. Um, and one in particular, uh, Matt Canadian Legend said it's the first time catching the pod live. So Matt, hello. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm going to give a shout out yeah. to Pastors Guild as well and to Joel and Isaac Vort. Um, thank you. And Bill Caesar as well. Uh, thank you all for joining us in chat as we are doing because we look this is how we can prove that we're not ai and that we are live is the fact that i've in real time oh no wait they can do that now okay whatever um <laughs> yeah we've got no way of proving it Josie. do you know how you could prove it you have to get your junk out right now on camera i only can ai no but ai don't have belly buttons they don't have junk they're like ken dolls down there uh or, or they've got too many all they've got, got like, too many cocks yeah. Two cocks it's, and one. You know, yeah, you you know how um like AI image generation can't do fingers or teeth. It also just <laughs> yeah. can't do balls. <laughs> yeah, fair. It could. It, it'd be surprising if it could. Let's be honest. Yeah. Then you find wait, out. Just wait. Just wait for the Dali bollocks update. <laughs> and it, all that it does is balls attached to everything. Everyone's yeah. got a pair of balls just hanging out the bottom of everything because they're like, we can do it now. Um. Yeah. And still, but still, seven fingers. They'll never get always, that right. Always seven fingers. Um, some people that some have balls and some have seven fingers, maybe, I don't know who, uh, are our patrons um, who've been over to patreon.com forward slash super show and supported us. And they're absolute legends. Um, so I would like to give a shout out uh, to some of them. There are some names of people on screen right now that you can see. These are people who've um, done exactly that. Um, but I would like to shout out some some specific names 
that you can see on screen. And they are Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Ice Knock Rock Salt, Jesper Kandar Nielsen, Pastors Guild, and the big dogs, the members of the board. I'm talking Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Greed, Manuel Guerrero, and Peaswad. Um, all of you, thank you so much uh, for supporting us. Um, for so long as well, a lot of you, uh, week after week, it's absolutely fantastic, phenomenal. Um, we are humbled by it, and thank you very much. Really, yes, thank you. Let's move on, Jamie. I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear. want to hear what you've been playing. Well, because um... I know you've been playing. Uh, you've been playing two things that I really like the sound of. Uh, one, I know why, because I played it. And one, because I really want to play and I haven't. Um, um, where, where's the best place to start then? Shall I? Shall I? Wherever. Mix it up like a salad. Toss it. Just go crazy. Hang on. Don't. You got to be careful with who you tell to toss salads around here, Jonesy. That can very easily be misinterpreted. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll get a quick one out of the way, and then I'll do a longer one, and then I'll join you in probably something even longer than that. Um, <laughs> turns out video games are coming out, folks. Who'd have thunk? Um, I, the, a game that came out today. Um, and my employers would not be happy to hear that I've already played like two hours of. That's a that's a joke. I did it all outside of workhouse. Um Jusson, I'm gonna give it its official print, French pronunciation. Um it's not just Ant, for as much as I love it to be. <laughs> for anyone that um doesn't remember, this was the game that was like Kleine game. I think it was announced Yeah, it was was it announced during an Xbox thing during the summer? Oh goodness, I cannot remember what specific thing it was. It was on a couple of them, yeah, but I think it maybe it was Xbox that was announced on because we we had a lot of fun just trying to say the name. Yes, and Xbox would make sense because it's on Game Pass um, day one. Um, and yes, as, as you said, Josie, it's the Climbing Game. Um, and uh, I, I've already got past uh, where I got to in the demo that they put out a handful of months ago, uh, which has meant that I have seen kind of the next mechanic um, or two kind of um, reveal themselves, and I'm really intrigued to see how they continue to build out their... Um, I don't know how you call it, like climbing as game design. It's almost like um, elements of uh, Death Stranding where traversal and climbing and getting around or over or up things is kind of the whole point of the game. But when you focus on it, you know, um, enough, it actually becomes weirdly engaging. And their climbing feels really smooth. I think I talked about it when I played the demo, but it's got that left hand, right hand map to the left trigger and right trigger kind of set up. Yep. And you can put um, these kind of like, almost like manual checkpoints. You put these kind of like, um, you Piton. know. Piton. Say that again? Piton. Piton. I don't even remember if that's what they call them, but I just like the word so much. I'm going to set a piton in the rock. And uh, not that doesn't just create like a manual checkpoint for you if you fall. It also gives you your leverage to kind of like drop your body weight so you can swing around and right. go for things that are really far away. Just a, a bunch of really neat, well-executed and nice feeling um, climbing maneuvers um, all wrapped up in a, a surprisingly pretty um, flat base. It's still very colorful um, uh, game that I think is running in Unreal Engine 5. Um and so everything kind of has this really nice, sharp, well-lit look to it. Um, it's on Game Pass. I recommend it. Nice. Um, I also, also will join the rest of the internet um, in uh, uh, in recommending Alan Wake 2, Jonesy, which... I want to play uh, so badly. This past week. You should, turns out, I don't know if anyone else online has told you this, Jonesy, but you should probably play Alan Wake 2. I, <laughs> my problem is I still haven't finished Alan Wake 1, and I'm like, I know... 
well, maybe I don't need to finish Alan Wake 1 to play Alan Wake 2, but I feel like I should. I feel like it's a weird place to jump into a, to that saga if I hop in. Saga, I see what you did there. Um, I, the protagonist, one of the protagonist's names, first Saga. Name saga. Uh, do you know what? I'm, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to catch the flack for this if Martin Ruffle ends up watching or listening to this podcast later he, down he's the line. Watching he right now. Oh, there we go. He might turn me off for saying this. Um, but. I don't think you should. I don't think anyone should let not having played Alan Wake One stand in the way of them playing Alan Wake Two because Alan Wake Two is a very different game. Um, and I think Alan Wake Two is going to appeal to a lot more people, especially even with the remaster. Going back to Alan Wake One, um, it's something I did like a handful of months ago, and I don't know if it was just because it was my second time through and I kind of was expecting some of the story beats or reveals or whatever the case may be, but I didn't have an amazing time with it. And Alan Wake 2 is such a different beast that leans a little bit on Alan Wake 1, but nothing that you couldn't learn very quickly through a YouTube video or Wikipedia page. Right. Um, yeah, and it's just one of those things. If you think that you're going to be stuck on Alan Wake 1, not you know stuck in terms of you know not being able to get past a certain point, but stuck in terms of it, you've got a mental block there, I don't think it's worth it. I think you should just jump in. Okay. Interesting. That's my gut feeling um, so far. Um. But I mean, yeah, there's, there's there's little I can say about Alan Wake Two that the, the the rest of the internet hasn't already said in one you know overwhelming chorus across social media in the past week, and not least of all because I'm I'm only actually about five hours in because I haven't been able to play a huge amount of it thus far. Um, but I mean, it is it is a real kind of uh, tour de force. Uh, it, it um it is remedy firing on all cylinders. Um, I, and I think that anyone that's been following the trajectory that they've been on, and I include myself in that despite having not even played Quantum Break, for example, it's almost like you can see what they've been working towards the whole time. And I think with right. Control, they really nailed this nice middle ground between something that functionally and at its core was an incredibly tight and enjoyable game experience, but that was pulling at the threads of something much bigger and much broader. And you couldn't always get as close to that side of control as you wanted to. Like sometimes it felt like the most exciting parts of control were being dangled in front of you rather than things you yeah. could actually reach out and grab. Um, if exciting things or interesting, th if intrigue is being dangled in front of you in control, then it's being smushed in your face <laughs> in Alawake 2. Any like a sense of uh, subtlety or kind of, um, you know, or, or anything along that lines has, has been, was left at the door. Um, and every kind of every weird note that existed in control like if you're one of the people that played control and so it was hung up on the fact of like why am i talking to this Finnish janitor who speaks in code and i don't really understand like if those are your memories of control then that's that's kind of all alan wake 2 is apart from the bit where it has to go back to being a survival horror third person shooter which is the only asterisk that i would provide that I saw some of in reviews, but not a huge amount of. Like, did you watch any reviews that, like, spent two-thirds of them, whether it's an article or a video, two-thirds of it were kind of this glowing review of Alan Wake 2 almost as a piece of art, this kind of, like, multimedia, like, like, pay, like thing that, like, somehow all manages to come together. And then two-thirds of the way through the article, the video, the critic goes, there is shooting in the game, and it's not, and it's kind of only average. Um, I, 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 so I haven't actually, um, like read many reviews, but, but I, I did kind of, I think one I actually read almost at one point makes a point of going, of saying, 
oh yeah, by the way, this is a survival horror game. Which, which the way yeah. that it almost framed that was kind of weird to me because I, I, I'm not a big fan of survival horror games anyway because I'm too scared. Um, I like them to a point, but then I fall off them, and so I. But I like I like what I've played of Alan Wake One so far. But then I was kind of like, oh, okay, what, that's kind of a strange way to inject that into a review because you'd think that it would like right. lead with that in some sense. But it did sort of seem to say, no, this is amazing. This is like you said, this is this is fantastic and big and art. And then it goes, oh, by the way. You know, which is yeah. kind of odd. Kind of because it kind of it kind of feels like the game does that sometimes. Okay. Like even the game's opening few chapters where you play as a Saga Anderson who is an FBI agent and you've been um dragged out to uh the, the same location as the the original Alan Waite takes place to investigate a series of ritualistic murders. And and this is kind of an example of almost like the confidence, like the swagger that somehow Remedy have got um in their stride with with Alan Wake Two. Like the first couple of hours, uh, they're not injury. It, it plays more like an adventure game than a survival horror game. It's a crime procedural. You know, it's almost like L.A. Noir at times. Right. Um, but L.A. Noir by way of True Detective One or Oh, sorry, you froze for a second uh, there. I wanted to make sure I hadn't lost. I know, no, you're yeah. By okay. by way of True Detective Season One or Seven, and there's even a bit of uh, Blair Witch in there, like. You're examining a dead body, and you're taking photo. Uh, you, you know, you're taking these clues that you get in the form of like little Polaroids, um, and you go to your mind place, and you're assembling all these clues and all these different leads to try and figure out the overarching, uh, you know, story beats that are taking place. And it's almost like that we sunny in Philadelphia joke where it's drawing bits of red string across this big <laughs> yeah. board, and um, as you fill out your investigation like it does it's it's confident enough to just do that for the first couple of hours and then more traditional third person action adventure elements start creeping in but by way of like a resident evil like when you press triangle on the playstation 5 uh you have a little inventory that pops up in the top right and it's every item takes up a box and so you will end up with a situation of like do i want the handgun ammo or do i want the healing item it's very resident evil in that sense right um even the even the shooting mechanics feel more akin to the recent Resident Evil remakes than anything that's in the first Alan Wake. Um, uh, so it, it's clear to see where they've taken their inspiration from. Um, but it's just really quite bold. Um, you, you know, you don't see... There, there are a lot of extremely... Put it put it this way. Um, when we were talking on the podcast last week about Spider-Man 2, I joked that when you go into a game like Spider-Man, whether it's because of you know the series' history or Insomniac's history or even PlayStation Studios' history... You're not going into Spider-Man 2 wondering how good it's going to... Like, wondering if it's good. You're going into Spider-Man 2 wondering by how much it's going to exceed your expectations or, right. like, how how much better than just good is it going to be. And with Remedy, and I, I don't, I don't want to, like, throw any shade, but that actually the simpler initial question does still remain sometimes. You, there are going to be people going into Alan Wake 2 who are like, okay, is this good? Like, have they pulled this off? Or were they right to go back to this, you know franchise that landed around an 80 on metacritic and is remembered fondly by some and less so by others and the fact that they exceeded those expectations so dramatically i think is a testament to um really how much that they've come on in the years since that original game and also how much clearly between you know the relationship with epic that they've got on the publishing side which i, I don't know how much freedom they were given as a result of that but i have to imagine it helped and the confidence that they've got by the fact that like control was such a singular uh, piece um and yet it was so well received and sold so well that they've just been they, they've just almost enabled themselves to go off and do things that 
like um like really strong and really startling and really bold and in incredibly tense and incredibly scary um and also just mess with meta layers and meta narratives in a way that you know when something is so confusing but simultaneously so good that at some point you have that conversation with yourself where you say i can't sit down and dissect this bit by bit i just have to enjoy it i just have to accept that this is happening yes i know i think i know exactly what you mean kind of how like, i felt about donnie darko sure yeah the, the donnie darko is not and, and you can watch a half an hour youtube video afterwards if you want and you might understand it more no, you probably won't understand that, it all. still don't understand and it, it. And it but it still doesn't matter like, still great I, I think, yeah. like there's a so there's this thread in alan wake 2 um it's not even a thread it's it, it's hard to describe anything that happens in alan wake 2 stories you know with any real cohesiveness but um saga anderson who we discussed who is one of the two playable characters her her partner in the fbi who's helping her investigate the case of these ritualistic killings at the start of the game is called alex casey and alex casey hates his name uh, because he shares is the name of a fictional detective written by Alan Wake. There, right. so Alan Wake wrote as a series of detective novels. The detective in that in those novels is called Alex Casey. So Alex Casey hates his name because he gets teased for it because he's also a detective. Um, Do you know what that makes me think of the uh, Simpsons episode where there's a uh, Homer Simpson as a detective named after him. Oh yeah, it's really cool. And then he ends up being a complete moron, and Homer hates it. Anyway, kind of like that. We digress. Okay. okay there's a later sequence and i'm not spoiling anything because it's been like heavily shown in um in preview materials and trailers um there's a sequence where alan wake the writer goes on a talk show have you seen some of those oh those yes yeah 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 um and he doesn't know why he's gone going on a talk show he doesn't know what he's never heard of the talk show he doesn't know why he's there how he ended up there or what he's doing there and he learns during this talk show that he's there to promote a book that he doesn't remember writing and that book is about the story of the video game Alan Wake 2 that you're playing. So Alan Wake in the video game Alan Wake 2 has written a book, or had without remembering it, about himself, a writer, stuck in, a, in, in the dark place and creating a detective story, the thing that you have just spent the first three hours playing right. to help himself get out of the book. Um, but because the book exists in that reality, in this kind of layer of the meta, so does, the, so does Alex Casey. Now, Alex Casey, in the version that I was just describing, is this weird mix where they use the facial capture of Sam Lake, who is the creative director at Remedy and wrote the game in real life, Yep, um, wrote the game, um, and also has the voice of, is voiced by James McCaffrey, who is the voice of Max Payne, which, if you remember, was the exact same combination in the original Max Payne, where they used Sam Lake's scrunched up face and James McCaffrey's voice. Yep. So that's the other thing. Um, Alex Casey is basically Max Payne. And then at, th at this point, the real Sam Lake, addressed as and called Sam Lake, comes out and sits next to Alan Wake on the talk show. But he is there because he is the face of Alex Casey in a fictional film adaptation of the books that Alan Wake has written about Alex Casey. And, and there's a bit where the talk show hosts ask Alan Wake what they think of Sam Lake, ask Alan Wake what he thinks of Sam Lake in terms of, like, does he look like what he imagined Alice Casey looking like when he was writing it? Which is a reverse of the actual game itself, because right. in reality, 
Alan, Sam Lake, is, the writer of Alan Wake, is sat there opposite the person who is the face of Alan Wake, but not the voice of Alan Wake, because Alan Wake is also, in real life, two different people, one one face and body and one uh, voice. Um, and that that's not even getting into like this idea of... Uh, um, it, it, and it all seems to revolve around this idea of like if 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 the dark place and this is going back to Alan Wake one, so it's not Alan Wake two spoilers. But if the dark place is a you know a theoretical um, space that it, that harnesses the ability or the power of artists and uses the things they create to bring them into existence, then how far back that does that go? If something was brought into existence to bring something else to existence, it's like the artist painting a picture of the artist painting a picture of the artist right. painting a picture. Like when you hold two when you hold a mirror up and there's a mirror behind you, yeah. and you know the reflections are going on. It's like where does it? it it's How do you know if you're the real person or whether you're a reflection of the person? Right. Like so when 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 Sarger Anderson in and this is inside the first hour of the game picks up a page of a manuscript and realizes that someone somewhere. I wonder who is writing the story that is happening to them right now. Is Sarger Anderson, and I'm asking myself these, these are rhetorical questions, I don't know the answers, but like, are Sarger and, uh, Anderson, Sarger Anderson and Alex Casey real, or are they manifestations of something that Alan Wake wrote to write himself out of a place? But then if that's the case, why does he exist himself within that place as a writer who has also written a book about the same thing? But then and we like, know that they're all imaginations of Sam Lake as well in the real world. Well, yeah, but it's like Weird. if you write a book, if you write a book that contains a writer writing a book, then every single then that writer is also writing a book is also, and so you yep. create these these infinite regressions that create meta layers on top of each other that they then blend with real life facial captures and performances and references to previous remedy games and all these layers. Um, and it is, and that's, and that's for for anyone who's like read tweets or whatever or articles talking about how like bold or unique or different Alan Wake Two is. Like it's that kind of like meta narrative subject taking place within a game that Digital Foundry have just declared the best looking game of twenty twenty three. Like, and that that marriage of AAA game design and like extreme like like high budget triple a game like uh production values and something that's willing to be so bold and avant-garde and abstract and lynchian in so many other ways you, you just don't very often see they don't so many people have to play it safe at that scale and they just haven't um no absolutely and it's interesting you talk about epic i know uh the um uh, Remedy have actually come out this week and have said that Epic basically gave them carte blanche to do whatever they want and that they said, go for it, you know, build, make the game you want to make, which is fantastic when you hear that that's how the, yeah. the, the game came about. Um, do you do you feel from what you've played so far that the the narrative, uh, you know, you said those meta layers of narrative are underserved by the survival horror genre, which the game is at the end of the day? Because that's um, one thing that kind of maybe not worries me but it's one thing that i you know what i'm interested to know a little bit i think that they can be the the weak points of the package without necessarily underserving or undermining anything else that's going on within the context of that game like um i think it was in skill ups uh review where rather than looking at sort of the survival horror trappings in general or the third person shooting elements in general he looked at the upgrade systems um, there's one, for example, where you collect sc manuscript scraps and you can use them to like, 
have like an extra uh, more rounds in your pistol uh, magazine or um, increased chance to stagger an enemy. And he was looking at that stuff and saying, um, this doesn't even need to be in here. Like, why is this in here? Yeah. Like, it just seems so antithetical to everything else that's going on. But then he himself pointed out, and I, I would agree with this standpoint, is like, when you're looking at something like that and saying, this isn't even a criticism, it's just something they probably didn't even need to do because it doesn't add anything. You're not really complaining. You're just like nit almost nitpicking at that point. Um, right. It's like looking at the world's most handsome man and saying, yeah, but he didn't need to wear those those glasses. It's like <laughs> still the world's most handsome man. You just don't like the glasses. You think he didn't think he needed to put on those sunglasses. Um, right. Um, so yeah, um, uh, it's 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 an incredibly tough game to talk about as I, I I've just illustrated by doing so incredibly poorly, and I, I apologize there that I end up just rambling about. No, you've um, you've done it very well. It sounds it sounds um, yeah, it's it sounds like it's a hell of a game and also one that needs to be experienced. Maybe I I think that people are going to be um. I think the people, some people at least, are going to be talking about Alawait Two for a, for a, for a very long time, and I think uh, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm just overstating it here, but I think in some corners of the internet, especially some corners of Twitter, where everyone loves to be hip and cool and down with the kids, it's going to be used as kind of like a frame of reference for where I was going to say where the genre goes in the future, but maybe even where certain sort of like narratively inclined video games go in the future. Um, right, especially again from like a, like, um, from a from a fourth wall breaking perspective, and like a, just a willingness to take narrative risks with how you, it, you you work together with these different elements, but also just even from a technical perspective, I didn't even talk about the fact that the mind place, which is essentially the physical manifestation of a menu, like rather than just you know putting Polaroids up on a menu uh, on the wall through a menu or profiling someone who you'd met through a menu. Is a, it's a physical place that the characters walk around in, and you get there by hitting the touchpad, and it's instantaneous. Like on on any platform, as my understanding, it's not just a, some you know PS5 SSD thing. Like the, the the technical elements of what's going on here, it's the one one of the scariest games um, I think I've ever played. Um, oh, and you know why'd you have to say that? You you put me off now. I just. Uh, but you you should take confidence from the fact that I'm forcing myself to keep playing it. Right. Okay. Even, yeah. even though you know what I'm like with horror. And there are legit jump scares in this thing that I personally think are actually quite cheap. If I ha if I was forced to come up with things I didn't like about Alawake 2, it's like there are unnecessary jump scares. And some of them, there's one technique it uses a handful of times. You'll experience it inside the first 10 minutes. Um uh that that I'm like, that was unnecessary. Did, was that, did we really need to do that? Like I'm sweating now. My heartbeat feels like it's going a little <laughs> bit too fast. Um, but I, I'm just I've been thinking about this game a lot, and I know I haven't played a huge amount of it, but like, I'm going to bed thinking about this game for some reason, which is um, a, which is a good sign. I mean, I think that's it's usually a good sign. Uh, a question in from a friend of the show, Martin Ruffle, uh, game of the year contender after the amount you've played so far. More like a crook if I say yes after five hours of game time. I've got so much more to see. I'd be very surprised if it wasn't um, a personal contender for me uh, when it was all said and done. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I'm picking up everything that's putting it down. And I, and I know these are extremely popular touchstones, but I also I love everything that's drawing from. Like Twin Peaks is basically the only TV show that I've ever binge watched in my life. Because, um, you know, I'm not a TV guy. 
like a True Detective Seven, even things like Blair Witch. There are elements of um, I was thinking earlier today. There are elements of me Memento in there for reasons that I won't like uh, divulge. Um, and just that that that, that yeah you know, that awesome kind of that really taking some of the uh, sort of more abstract, more surreal elements of Control and leaning into them in like a, a as I mentioned earlier, a very Lynchian way where all the characters are so invested in just how odd or abstract everything is and so willing to accept things at face value that they suddenly accept at face value that you almost, it completely circumvents the issue of um, ludonarrative dissonance, right? Like we're not taught sitting, going to sit here talking about like, why aren't they reacting like that? Or why weren't they more concerned about this? Or why didn't they tell their partner they just killed them or something like that? Because everything still somehow is grounded and makes sense within the world that Remedy have created right. in the same way that, that like David Lynch does, you know? Yeah. You don't sit there going, like, why did he react to that, to that vision? Like, do, is, isn't he afraid he's losing his mind? No, he's not afraid he's losing his mind because this is, it's, it's Twin Peaks. And it makes sense. <laughs> and it yeah. makes sense for him, yeah. Yeah, and then Alan Wake 2, a lot of things just make, make sense until they don't, and then the game also gets interesting as a result of that. I'm going to start talking about Alan Wake 2 now. <laughs> hey, it's good. The fact that you want to talk about it that much suggests that it is a uh, game worth I said to, I, I said to you before we started recording when we were talking about how much news we have that if you need me to talk about Alan Wake 2 <laughs> for two hours, I will. And I wasn't joking. So move us on. Uh, anything else? You've been playing anything else this week? Um, well, you and I both finished something, I believe, right? Um, we did, did indeed. Did, did we? Did we both platinum something? We did both platinum something. Uh, oh, that's good work. Of course, we're talking about Spider Man Two. Um, yeah, at the end end of Spider Man Two, after the platinum, how did you? Um, how did you feel? Sounds Robert Slade. Obviously, you don't want to. We don't want to give away like uh, any endings or stories, story beats, or anything like that. But yeah, where where are you at with your feels on Spider Man? 2? I feel I feel great about it. I feel great about it. Like Spider Man Two is a fantastic video game. Um, it's a, it's a technical triumph. It um, it, it you know successfully uh, improves upon or builds on uh, uh, you know everything that you know was already say, so deftly handled by the original game and by Miles Morales. Like combat is uh, vastly improved. I was worried it would get overcomplicated as more and more systems and mechanics and ideas got introduced, but I never did get overwhelmed. And in fact, I felt like my mastery of that game's combat systems and of that game's traversal systems always grew in line with the amount of things they were adding um, to my plate. Like I talked last week about how, like how many different combinations of um, a shoulder button plus a face button can there be before you lose track? And there's a number of different intuitive ways that they almost allow you to keep, be through, one, through muscle memory and two, just sort of through intuitiveness based on the game's fundamental controls. Um, you keep in line with everything. And 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 that, that kind of speaks to the whole experience as they've just made such a strong but also streamlined and consistently enjoyable game. Um, to, to be honest, the only other thing I needed to see was how they executed on some of the, the story beats and hope for what I was hoping for, at least in terms of twists and turns in the kind of the back half of that game. And I thought it delivered. Not everything was as surprising as it could have been, but there was still a sufficient and sufficient um, amount of surprises or like nice touches or great character moments or great reveals um, and sequences that I was like, yeah, they've done, they've done Spider-Man Two justice here, um, and I was very happy with it. And I, I have to agree. Um, yeah, like 
I think when I, I got to the end of that game and I was like, I didn't want to stop playing. So I, I carried on and then I, you know, 100%ed it. And then it was like, okay, now I want to get the platinum. And so I, you know, finished out the last sort of few trophies that I had. Um, I think if I, if I was, if there was one criticism I would maybe have of it, just literally mm. for like nitpicking and just trying to find criticisms, I did toward the end start to feel that whilst I would agree with you about the, you know, the utilization of the shoulder buttons and the face buttons made, you know, uh, in com uh, combinations and stuff and fights were, were great, were fine. I did start to feel that the combat was repetitive toward the end, but I think that's just the fact that you've you've just sunk thirty hours into a game, and it's you know there's a lot of combat, and you get to just do a lot of combat. Like it's still fun, it's still enjoyable. The amount of um, there's like enough stealth missions and things, and there's different ways to uh, to tackle things, and they still keep introducing new um, ways of of addressing combat even toward the back end of that game like i uh, so i can't yeah so it's probably a bit of an unfair criticism but i i suppose by the time i roll credits um not even roll credits on the on the story but roll credits on the whole thing on the platinum i was like maybe some of those side quests some of those uh crimes and things by the time you've literally done that much of it i was a bit like maybe it's a hair repetitive um but i i, I just still i think we talked about it last week the pace at which they managed to set up and execute set pieces in that game is fantastic. Like, yeah, I think you said it as well. It's like, it's not just through the main story. It's like throughout, like side quests, um, other little villains who pop in, like random things. There's And there's a whole little side quest section that seems to yeah. have, then have a set piece attached to it. And you're just like, oh, okay. this is This is another level of game design and execution. This is like a reward for absolutely everything. Um, mm, yeah, totally. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely loved it. <clears throat> um, it looks phenomenal. It plays so well. Like, it, yeah, no, enjoyed it through and through. Yeah, all the way to the end. Cannot yeah. wait for DLC. Yeah, and that's the other thing that's really cool none has been it, announced, but, but can't wait. I mean, it's. It, it, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say too much, but I'm sure you're thinking the same thing, which is I'm. I'm fascinated to see which of the threads that they have intentionally left dangling are DLC and which are Spider-Man Three or another yes. spin-off game. Uh, um, yeah, that is the only because I there's a couple of things and I actually read up people saying that oh this is obviously going to be DLC and I was like I don't think that will be I think that will be part three like I mm. think that's um, uh, you know where that's going to go but. Hey, I'm gonna try. I'm trying to, you know, try and communicate something to you telepathically, and probably fail. But like, there's one story thread that is revealed through side content that I presume, because it's revealed through side content, is considered like less of a, you know, less of a kind of a lead into more content than some of the stuff that like happens as a result of the main story. Um, but when I found when I found out who someone was, I was like. I don't want that now. Um, yeah, I know. I think I know exactly what you mean. And uh, that was that's specifically the one I'm talking about. Where Bice, I was like, "Is that going to be DLC or is that going to be?" And then the, pe the people were saying, "Oh, it's going to be DLC." And I was like, "I think that's going to be a, so a a thread in the third installment. I don't think it'll be DLC, but you know, it remains to be seen." Um, but no, yeah, uh, very good game. Not going to bore you with Spider Man. Talked about it a lot for the last two weeks already. Uh, yeah, well. I do have one question though, and if you want to delay this question till later on in the podcast, I would understand why. Okay, but like, 
I was kind of looking to this. Basically, you and I have had a discussion on and off throughout the year about like the quality of the games that have come out and whether or not they've been for us. And I remember looking to Spider-Man 2 and kind of thinking that was maybe not a shoe-in for your game of the year, but like th that was it was in the running. And I, 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 I wasn't 100% sure what it was going to be if it wasn't that. Has it reached that kind of that level? Uh, for me, uh, easily. Okay, there you go. I, it's always it's it's a kind of annoying because in some respects it's, I, I, you know we've already said it, you you get a game like this from Insomniac and you you don't even ask the question of whether or not it's good you just ask the question how good or how much better how how um how sort of far did it go beyond your expectations, um, it's for it's 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 almost it almost boring in the sense of it's you know it's going to be good enough to be up there anyway. And I, I I do take on on board what some people have said, which is that it doesn't uh, maybe it doesn't take enough risks. Maybe it could have taken more, but actually what they did with it, I really liked. And where the story goes, I thought was at, you know I thought was good. I thought was fine. I didn't really. And I think these days when people say they take risks, what they really mean is you know have something uh, you didn't really expect. Oh, we're going to kill off every character. And you're like, it doesn't need to happen. Like, it doesn't need to be like that. Every game doesn't need to have these um, kind of like insane uh, scorched earth moments in a story to to make it, you know, risky and to make it, oh, it pushed the envelope. Like, you can just have a solid story, a continuation. I mean, this is a middle game as well. Like, this is this this is number two out of a, we're assuming is a trilogy. Um, you know, so not taking Miles Morales into that either. Um, yeah. And I think... I yeah, sorry, go for it. No, oh, go for it. Yeah. I, I think I think that you know usually the second in a trilogy is the weakest entry because you have the first game which sets everything up, which kind of um, and there that's always going to be you know going to grab people, and then the third one has to really finish everything off, put a nice bow on everything, and you have the really big story story beats in like the first and the third, and then the second is kind of a little bit phoned in sometimes. It just does some of the sort of connecting the dots, but I don't think they've done that at all. I think they've they've done a really fantastic job narratively gameplay wise um and yeah excited for the dlc excited for um uh third installment yeah and any sure right with you. mini games like you said because obviously we have miles morales after one so maybe we're going to get something a mini game in between two and three you never know who could who could say who could say um no i'm looking forward to it and i, and I totally agree with you for what it's worth on the idea of like risk taking um and I, and I think it's interesting that we talk about like Spider-Man 2 and Alan Wake 2 back to back because someone who was like I think overly invested in like video game developers taking risks might look at like Alan Wake 2 as more of a risk for example than Spider-Man 2 and, and I think that sure like maybe on paper it is but I don't think that's like the attribute that's most compelling about either of them I think the thing that's most impressive about both of those games is is ambition more than risk. And one thing you can say about Spider-Man 2, even if it plays it safe in some regards, is it's still wildly ambitious in others. And like I know we talked about a lot of the technical elements last time, but like I don't I don't want to hear anyone try and pretend that Spider-Man 2 wasn't still like a really dramatic undertaking from Insomniac when you consider every single component of that game. Just you know, I, it's, it's exactly what you said. Like some people want to see wild story stuff, and that's their version of a risky or ambitious game, but. They can, you know, envelop so many other attributes and and elements and ideas that I think um, both those games we just talked about um, 
just nails and they hit out the park in their own ways. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a been a great year already for for games, and I think Spider Man Two has been um, for me has been yeah phenomenal. And and um, but it's it's so stupid because in some respects it's almost like it's it's oh yeah it's it's really good. I knew it was going to be really good, and so you're almost a little bit muted in how you feel about something because you knew it was going to be fantastic, which is really unfair to the game because it's like it's it's fantastic. Um, but I. I'm just, I like as soon as that new game plus comes out, I think I'm I would play through it again. That's where I'm at at the moment with it. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd be well up for that. Um, so yes, yeah, yeah, I I I can get behind that. Uh, I will quickly mention as well that I had a little palate cleanser in between uh, oh, yeah. after Spider Man Two. I finished another game, um, which was Far Lone Sales. Very nice. Which I, I haven't played it. Uh, I I think. I'd obviously I was seen it somewhere I can't remember what I even saw it on and um was like oh it's, it's a game I would like to play and then I saw that it came up on uh, it was on PlayStation um or sorry Changing Tides was on um was available on PlayStation so I was like oh yeah I might play that and then sort of thought actually let me let me play Lone Sales first because it's I think it was two pounds on Steam or something like that um okay so hopped into that uh played that really enjoyed it and then i've started playing changing tides as well um but yeah very a very good palette cleanser game like it's you know a much more simple get stuff done enjoy the soundscape enjoy the scenery and yeah just be a little person making your little ship go and it was that was it was very good very enjoyable um how long did it take you for a run through just out of curiosity I have no idea. Maybe like, I guess like three to four hours, maybe. Nice. That's that. That's a, that's good. That's a good palate cleanser. You're right. But I just, it's it's difficult to it's difficult to know. But because it's one of those rides like dipped in, dipped out, dipped in, dipped out. But yeah, no, it's got to be like three to four hours. Um. But what? Well, yeah, one of those little like indie type games that's which is just a. You're just doing. You're just doing stuff. You know. You're enjoying the enjoying the design like the whole way through. There's nothing obviously that mm. challenging. Nothing that testing. But um, a couple of little puzzles to get your teeth into. Um, nothing. Nothing crazy. Uh, but anyway, with that, let's move on to our next news story. Um, a bit of a downer. We seems to be. We seem to be talking about this sort of every every other week at this point. Uh, but there have been more layoffs um, as PlayStation Studios take a hit. Uh, this week as Destiny 2 developer Bungie um, has uh, said that it is going to be losing 8% of its staff. Um, it's sent an email out and said that the staff are going to be laid off, which is around 100 people. Um, uh, and that is tied to the fact that they've, um, they're have they projected to miss their revenue targets this year by, um, well, I think it's this year, by 45%. I, can't, I didn't see if it was this quarter or this year. Um, let's say this year, which obviously is a, is a hell, yeah. hell of a target. Or a hell of an amount to miss your target by, I should say. Um, but as we've said, like already this year, the amount of layoffs and the amount of people losing their jobs just sucks through and through. Um, and it's, it definitely isn't limited, obviously, to PlayStation Studios and to to Bungie. It's happened to um, so many companies at this point. Um, we've also uh, we've also got the news that um, the expansion, which was set to come to Destiny Two. Um, has now been delayed until um, June. It's going to launch in June rather than February, which is when it was supposed to come out. Um, also, Marathon, which doesn't have an official release date, was um, has been moved back 
to 2025. Um, and the other uh, PlayStation Studios um, studio, which has been affected, is Media Molecule, which is going to be losing around 15 to 20% of their company. They're getting laid off as well. Um, and Sony have actually shut down support for Dreams last month, which is... Do we make this sort of thing? I know it's kind of dumb, but like, I love the idea of things like dreams. We've seen it before, you know, like, oh, make your own games, yeah. get them out there, create your own, create your own amazing world, um, uh, send it to your friends, get everyone to play it, and then you can go massive and you'll be a game developer and all this. I've messed around in dreams. I've done some of their design stuff. It's not the slickest, um, you know, game creator, uh, but there have been some fun titles that people have made in it. There's some absolute crap, which, you know, <laughs> in there as well, as you would expect. Um, yes. But it's, it's a, you know it's a real shame and then to you know i am um, it's the kind of thing that i imagine that 90 90 of it is going to be rubbish 10 percent of it's going to be really good and then like 0.01 is going to be phenomenal and someone is going to get into video game design based off what they've created in something like dreams and maybe that's not a good enough turnaround that's not a good enough split um which you know but i don't know so yeah when you lose lose support for something like dreams just still kind of makes me sad more so than just another game or another uh, games as a service game or something like that losing support it's just, it's yeah it's different jamie no i get that because i think it's, it's hard not to look at something like dreams and just um always see the untapped potential for something like that and, and, and i agree that when you kind of like divvy it up in terms of you know, what the ratio of playable games to unplayable games to good and good games to bad games might be then yeah maybe things do skew um on you know on the negative side but that's like saying if you you know you gave a hundred kids a, a pen and a piece of paper like what's the ratio of like absolute shit like drawings <laughs> like people like i remember when i first had to do a self-portrait at primary school i forgot to give myself a body i was a head with arms and legs you know not every kid deserves to get given a pen and a paper hey. but you know if you don't give that pen and a paper to everyone you don't find out who does deserve it um abstract and- art is still art mate I mean, you you are right. Um, I, I'm not sure that's what anyone saw in in my self portrait, but um, but then that's just me. Um, and so yeah, it's impossible to not look at something like dreams um, and see, uh, you know, what what might have been or what was still to come. But if services like that stay around, but that's just not the reality we live in today. With you know server costs and 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 so on and so forth, and just generally supporting a video game after release, especially. You know, Media Molecule are a weird fit in the PlayStation Studios lineup, you know. Um, the Little Big Planet games made a huge splash, and deservedly so, but it's hard to know where their, you know, specific outlook on game development kind of goes in the future. And Dreams seemed like a natural sort of, you know, it, it seemed like a natural direction for them to go in as, you know, the, the sort of the campaign-y, story single-player elements of the LBP game seemed like less and less relevant. But now, you know, maybe Media Molecule just become a weird fit where PlayStation look at them and it's like, well, hang on a second, you're not going to make us the next Uncharted. Also, you're not going to make us the next, you know, live service PvP shooter. What are you going to do? And they said, we're going to make a really nice game where people can... Everyone gets given a lump of clay and the best pot wins every month. And someone at PlayStation were like... You know, okay. You you guys don't need any community managers anytime soon. Let's let's send the email. Um, 
I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, no, probably, it's unfair of me to speculate, but no, it's, it, you're right. Because even like Little Big Planet was I, the first two Little Big Planet games, I absolutely loved, and they blew me away, and I thought they're fantastic. And but by the time I got to Little Big Planet Sackboy Adventures, I did, some of the shine. Oh, excuse me, that's Sackboy a big adventure. Sorry, Sackboy a big adventure. I don't know. It was it wasn't quite there for me, and some of the shine and that you know, some of the joy it brought was just I don't know. I'd lost some of it and i i kind of thought like oh this we're still doing this um it's still fun like it's still fun still enjoyable i still know people that that really like that game and, and enjoy it but it's not something you can dine out on forever right you need to do need to move you need to do new stuff um yeah but well, i'm not sure nintendo agree <laughs> maybe um but yeah um it, within the context of uh, being a playstation studio i think that's definitely the case and like maybe I don't know whether or not these uh, redundancies or these layoffs like were to do with what Media Molecules' future looked like, or maybe it was just sort of like, you know, we we talked in the past about companies inflating a little bit too much, growing a little bit too much during COVID when things seemed like they were going to be a little bit more. Let's people were playing more games than they were going to once things went back to normal. Um, you know, were Media Molecule one of the hard companies that hired too much? I don't know. That's perhaps a reason why something like this could happen. It's it's the bungee thing that's more interesting to me because you hear layoffs and again maybe your first response is that again it could have been that COVID factor. Then you hear about that revenue target miss and you're like, I just thought that Destiny Two was one of those things that a lot of people kept playing, and it, but like to be forty five percent off your revenue targets, call it fifty because it's a scarier number and it's very close. Um, like how do, that that I didn't see that happening. I, so so for me, I think the bungee one is slightly less of a thing purely because it's it's eight percent, which is a lot. Like I'm not suggesting it's not a lot, and a hundred to lose hundred people is a lot. But that kind of feels like eight percent is is uh, something that a company could slough off eight percent of their people and not be that affected. You obviously media molecule like fifteen to twenty. That's like a fifth of your whole business, which seems I don't know. But no, I I agree with you. And the bungee is more surprising in that sense. You'd think it's bungee. Like how the hell a bungee losing money enough that they need to sort of lay people off? Um, I, t- I I'm with you with the target. Like hit missing by fifty percent has got to be like to being that meeting and to look at that number in red and be like, how far off our target were we? And be like, oh, we made half. Like that has got to- something went seriously wrong if your target is so far out of reach of what you're currently doing. Um, I I the fact that Destiny Two was still t- like you know making so much money anyway is surprising to me i suppose in some sense but then but you know what the hell do i know but again it's bungee how can bungee not make just buttloads of money it's how long has it been now jesus christ destiny 2's been around for like oh god um a fair old length of time 2017 but if if always like with destiny 2 it always felt like i i was kind of like oh people still playing that and then i just see loads of stuff coming out about how much more stuff they were doing how much they were pushing that and how many you know there were new um expansions and other other stuff going on yeah. and new meet new game modes and they were doing so much for it so and maybe that's it maybe that's the thing yeah. they were spending so much on it that they that's why the target was was um you know high maybe but even still like then you get into weird things about like bungee within the context of being a playstation studio and how much missed revenue targets like mattered because the other thing is you only have to go back a six months or so when we were talking about bungee as being like the pariahs of the uh, of PlayStation's, uh, you know, games as a service future, and we were buying into rumors 
and 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 stories and hearsay that Bungie were the ones that pumped the brakes on Naughty Dog's Last of Us multiplayer game because they didn't think it was everything it needed. Oh, they drew those rumors. Go about that. The, yeah, the they Bungie, were the ones. Bungie, yeah, Bungie were the ones that vetted that game because yes. they're the Destiny Two guys. And now it's like, oh, the Destiny Two guys are missing their revenue targets by forty five percent, and a hundred people are getting laid off. Um, oh, weird. Do you reckon it, there's almost it, an air of other companies like going ah to like. Uh, maybe I'm sure they're not. But no, but no, because the reason I don't think it could be that either is because there have been layoffs at Naughty Dog as well. Like, oh, uh, that—that's what doesn't make sense. That it's just an industry thing in a horrible way. That is what it is. Is it doesn't make any sense in some sense because it's Bungie. If it's Bungie, if it's Naughty Dog, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to make sense because you're like, well, why would you make them get rid of anyone? Like, just let them, let them keep their. They're gonna, they're gonna do good for you in future. They're gonna come good. Don't worry about it. It's Bungie. Like, come on, man. What, what are we talking about here? But um, uh, but yeah, no, that that is a hell of a target to me. But I think it's just the the way things are at the moment. It's it's a global market. It's interest rates. It's people spending less money on sure. on all that sort of stuff. So you you say that, but like we're about to in a second start talking about some of the best reviewed games of the year. And I'm you, I wonder when you go through that list, like how many of them can you envisage a tweet from the studio or from the publisher saying this is the best selling one of these or the fastest selling one of these or it's the first time we've hit that like that's true it does feel like it's been a broadly very successful year for the games industry and while all of those factors are 100 percent true and will have hit small teams when you're talking about playstation owned by back in turn backed by sony and this goes for microsoft and bethesda as well because there, there were layoffs there too them looking down and saying uh yeah well let's 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 get rid of eight percent of people at bungie like that's not we need to make these cuts so so sony or playstation fundamentally as a brand and as businesses continue going and so that the 92 percent of people who remain at bungie can continue putting food on the table you know no. there's a more cynical part of me that says like when you're looking at that when you look at these numbers and at companies who are doing it where they have all these other bits of their business going on and in some cases even thriving it's more like how can we improve that bottom line? How can we streamline things? In which areas are we did we maybe overhire a little bit, or do we have redundancies in our business? And don't get me wrong, identifying and eliminating redundancies in a business is a is a vital way of maintaining a healthy business. Kind of goes back to what we were saying about AI earlier, whether sometimes there's an inevitability to job losses that it makes it makes feeling you know like uh, pushing back against them is futile, and I guess it is to a certain extent. But it is still a bummer that that one industry can be hit so hard. And like we've got a list up in front of us on this document of, I think, mostly a fairly exhaustive list of the studios or publishers that have been affected by layoffs uh, just this year, this calendar year, and is the biggest names in the business almost bar none. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown. So we've got uh, so this year the layoffs um, layoffs have affected Bungie, Media Molecule. PlayStation Visual Arts Service Group, Naughty Dog, Epic Games, uh, Creative Assembly, Team 17, Microsoft and Bethesda, Take-Two, Riot Games, EA, Twitch, Meta, Unity, Ubisoft, CD Projekt Red, Roblox, Embracer, and Amazon. So, yeah, I mean, it's affected everybody. <laughs> like, and... It's it, like, it, who, like, who are the... Like, it, it's basically Nintendo. I like the big one not there. You yeah. Know? I, yeah. Meanwhile, Nintendo flaw flaws. Have you seen they keep um, touting the? They've got like a something like a ninety nine percent employee retention rate. 
Yes, and no, I saw that. It was a story a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? That they just, yeah, once you get in there, they just don't leave. Sounds like an amazing company. You got it's got to be an amazing company to work for if you never yeah. leave. No one ever. Like, you probably find they only leave because they die. <laughs> that's probably, oh God, that's depressing but true. That's that's what the 1% was. What do you call uh, Is it natural? Death. Or not death, I suppose. Would you, uh, retirement and death. That's probably it. Retirement and death. Actually, yeah, sorry, bro. How did I forget? For some reason, I completely forgot about retirement and totally bought into the idea of just people dying in their work. That's what I've been led to believe, though, in Japan, that it's like you can't, you never retire. You just have to keep working forever. Like, they just work and work and work and work and work. And that's why he'll never go to Japan. Yeah, speaking about Japan, uh, we've got a super chat in from Miami Sunrise, um, which I'm going to put to you, Jamie. Uh, Miami Sunrise says in the last several years was there a JRPG that really surprised you guys on how much you enjoyed it mine was Scarlet Nexus JRPG that really surprised us by how much we enjoyed it that's a good question um, the I'll, f- I'll go first, first and say easy because I, I don't play JRPGs so I think you've played I think when if we thought about it you'll have played more than you you may be giving yourself credit for um I will. I will say that I have to put my hand up and admit that, like, this question should be easier because I wish I was more into some of the heavy hitters that I am. The most uh, obvious kind of gnawing omission for me is something like Persona, where I feel like so many people will say Persona Five or Persona Five Royal, and it's like I haven't even touched it. I don't even know if I would like Persona. I've never tried it. The two that came to mind for me are two that um, took a series or a franchise in a slightly new direction. And a, and a and a I think a bona fide JRPG direction, but the both still worked or clicked for me in ways that even the series hadn't before, even when it was maybe like more traditional in its game design approaches. One was Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is of course of a, a blend between real time and turn based um, uh, combat. Um, but that was I had never really played a Final Fantasy game start to finish before, and I re- and I I did with Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I was into it. And the one I liked even more which was actually the first in the series that I've ever liked, really. Um, I didn't mind Zero, but it was um, Yakuza Like a Dragon, which again was when that series went turn-based, and I was like, it clicked for me for some reason, um, to the point where I'm like maybe more excited about the turn-based future of Yakuza than I am the um, than the real-time like future of Yakuza. Um, is Nier Automata a JRPG? It's not a turn-based, but it's a Japanese, it is a Japanese RPG. That's another example. I, do, I see. I wouldn't have thought Neo Automata is a, is an RP, a JRPG. Because is, is it RPG enough to be a JRPG? I don't know. I, I, I don't know why it falls into that category. I liked Neo Automata, but I uh, I didn't. No, I didn't finish it. I think I played like half. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't even get through one. Uh, I was going to say because you have to play it multiple times, don't you? But um, yeah, technically, Neo Automata only be- like is only good if you don't finish it. It becomes great by finishing it, right? Because you need to see the, you need to see where the endings go. Maybe, maybe I'll get back to it. But no, it's okay. I did play. Uh, it's not turn based, but um, I did play. Uh, I can't remember what we called it over here. Is it Judge Eyes or Justice? Um, oh, Judgment. 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 Is that a J? So that's not turn based. Is that a JRPG? It's got JRPG well, again, elements. Like, yeah, it, de- it depends. Like how fussy we're going to be about like what classifies as a JRPG, like. It's like when your mum asks you if you've got a girlfriend, and you say, I've got a friend who's a girl, yes. 
It's like, well, it is a ja- it is a Jap- it is a Japanese role playing game. I d- yeah, this is the thing. I don't know. I don't know what I, what the things are to make it see that it's class. I did try and play Persona Five, and I just didn't even know what was going on, so I just stopped. <laughs> I was like, I don't get this. Um, That's how far removed you are from high school life. You can't even relate to kids anymore. Jim. I I have said though, I want to play a really good JRPG, and I want to play it from start to finish. I've said that on the podcast before, I think, because I I feel like there's an entire genre that I've never played like i've never got my teeth into i've never played and i just but i want to do i want to go all the way through and i want to do all the random stupid side stuff i want to go fishing i want to do all that weirdness and like it's man you should you should play you you should there are like seven yakuza games coming out in the next 12 months you should pick the one you like the look of the most and play it that's my that's what i think all right i'll give that a try like i said i like judgment i played most i played like a lot of judgment i haven't finished it yet so this is this is my should be my catchphrase i haven't finished it do one, do one, do the next um, turn-based, um, um, yeah, Yakuza game. All right, we'll do that. We'll give that a whirl, or, uh, or like a dragon game. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to our final story, um, which is less of a story, more of a uh, a discussion piece uh, inspired by Kotaku. So this is the idea that 2023 is the best year for video games, possibly ever. Um, bold bold when you sort of uh floated this not not only is an idea to talk about but that it potentially is the greatest game for you uh greatest year for games ever my immediate reaction is like what are you talking about what are kataku talking about that is insanity <laughs> um but okay let's let's have a little go through some of the games that have come out this year because actually um you know maybe i could be convinced so we're talking um big hitters big swingers from this year okay so we've got Baldur's gate 3 tears of the kingdom super mario bros wonder spider-man 2 and alan wake 2 as we've talked about already um but not only that jamie because we've also had some crazy remakes we've had resident evil 4 metroid prime and dead space uh fighting games we've got street fighter 6 mortal kombat 1 we've got old school rpgs like octopath traveler and sea of stars uh, we've got some uh, tasty um, large-scale RPGs. We've got Starfield, Diablo 4, Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty. Um, we've had uh, indie hits like Dave the Diver and uh, Pizza Tower. We've got story-driven action games. We're talking Jedi Survivor, Final Fantasy 16, Hogwarts Legacy, Assassin's Creed Mirage, and Dead Island 2. And Souls-like, we've got Lies of P, Remnant 2, Lords of the Fallen, um, puzzle games, Cocoon, Humanity, and more. We're talking Hi-Fi Rush, Oxenfree 2, Dredge, Armored Core 6, and Pikmin 4, Cocoon. We could go on and on and on. Um, this week... A lot of games. This week, <laughs> this year, has been pretty chocker. Uh, yeah. So, go on. Let me let me, let me me hear well, let me hear which side of the debate you're going to be on. It... it, it. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, oh God, do I, can, I, can I sit on the fence from the word go? My, my <laughs> first reaction was to kind of like defend my stance or or defend, almost defend my inability to give it, to give a stance. Because one of the things I think that happens when you talk about is 2023 the best year for games in a while, your reaction perhaps is to not just evaluate the year in games, but to look at other years, let's say you're know, in, inside the last 20 or 30 Actually, let's do 30. That's more interesting. And then say, well, how does it stack up against them? And what you get 
as is always the case with, you know, it happens all the time with music and with film and TV, it's so much easier to kind of assess and evaluate and remember stuff that's been able to crystallize over time um, than it is stuff that's new. And when you're looking at stuff that's so new, you're almost still in the evaluation process. Like, who knows what we're saying about, uh, you know, I know what we feel about Starfield now. I don't know what we're going to be saying about Starfield in a decade's time. Yeah. And so when you go through that list there, there's a bunch of gains. But I also have to be honest with myself and say, like, um, I'm going to remit I, I feel kind of fond on Dead Island 2 at the moment, but in a decade, I might have cooled on it. I might think it's kind of average. Like you you say Cocoon or Humanity, and I know what those games are. Dave the Diver, I know what those games are. In a decade's time, if you go, do you remember Cocoon? I might go like, uh, Cocoon, uh, remind me. Um, and so that's, that's the bit that's always hardest. It's like to evaluate something when you're still in the middle of it. Um, it's very hard to take a step back. That said, I think one of the things that does remain something you're somewhat consistent over time is when you look at the as much as people like to you know sort of um, take the piss out of the, the like critical consensus is a thing. Um, and when you look at you know some of the games you mentioned at the top there, the games that I guess are considered the game of the year contenders for this year, like Baldur's Gate Three, Tears of the Kingdom, Super Mario Brothers, Wonder, or Spider Man Two. Um, and for some people, you could throw other games in there. Some people might feel throw Starfield in there, for example. Um, I've, I've spoken to people who throw Sea of Stars in there. I've spoken to some people who throw Resident Evil 4 in there. Like, you can go back through years inside the last decade, and any one of them would have been the game of the year. Like, go back to something like 2014, and, like, people were trying to figure out, it, like, it, it, can you really give game of the year to Shadow of Mordor? Like, that was the conversation we were having in 2014. There were some weirdos who owned a Wii U who were telling everyone that Bayonetta 2 was great, but it was most of us just ignored them because, you know, who owned a Wii U? Um, so I, I think that's that, in, in a sense, does speak to the strength of this year. And I do think that 2023 will, like, enter into the conversation now um, for the best years in games of all time. But until a sufficient enough amount of time has passed um, for the games to like crystallize and start to be like remembered as opposed to being you know, something that we're like presently assessing, then that's it's not going to like quite you know shift the um, the paradigm. Like I, uh, one of the things I did, did at the, towards the bottom is I I pulled out the 2017 a bunch of games from 2017 and then even further back still a bunch of games from 2007, 2017 because it's I think people consider it the last year, the last time we had a year this strong, and 2007, because it's a decade before that, and it was also very strong. When you go back through 2007, you feel like you're listening to a list of some of the best games of all time, or some of the most important franchise starters of the modern era, and it feels very hard to hold a candle to that um, at the moment. But will we get there eventually? Maybe. I think The reason for me, I think, that I don't find it compelling to think that 2023 is is no i don't how, how mean am i going to be to 2023 i i'm just going to say i don't think it is the in let's say the top three of best years for games is because whilst it's been a it has been a good year and like with all the games are listed off there are absolutely solid games and i absolutely like anyone uh this year had something to um, appeal to them like no matter what genre you're into no matter what platform you're on i completely understand it but it does kind of feel like a bit of a, um, uh, like a, a, 
what would you would you i can't even think of the word it almost feels like a year where a a group of people have got together and decided that it was the best year there's nothing really to make anyone get super passionate about like you can you can talk like spider-man 2 absolutely love spider-man 2 at the moment you know probably my game of the year for this year but if you said to me in is spider-man 2 did it blow you away did it do everything completely did, did, did it make you feel differently about games and i'm like no it was it was a very good game that that you know progress something that i'd already played before i took it in its natural direction and was a good story etc etc even like i'd say the same for tears of the kingdom um i think that i haven't played super mario bros but i'd be surprised if that's not the same deal with super mario bros wonder um they're games that um on balance are going to be in the 80s on you know on metacritic or whatever uh solid high 80s probably most of them but i don't think anyone's going to list them as their favorite game of all time if that makes sense i mean the, the, you, the, there is an elephant in the room, though, which is the game that you perhaps intentionally didn't mention. Baldur's Gate 3. The, some of the things that some people are saying about that game, like that is a game that people, like big voices in the industry are turning around and saying, this is the best game of all time. Well, it's um, the best game I've ever played in my life. The reason I have I specifically didn't mention Baldur's Gate 3 is because I feel like that that is one that I, I without playing, I literally just have no idea about. Like, I, I, can, I can look at people play it and I can say okay, that I can see why people are saying it's good, but you can't... I don't think you can get a feel for how good people have said Baldur's Gate 3 is from watching other people play it, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I'm in the same boat as you, so absolutely. Like, some games you see people play and you feel like you're blown away and you go, wow, that I can see why they're saying this. That looks phenomenal. But yeah, I think it's too difficult to look at an RPG like Baldur's Gate 3 and say... I, I feel like there's a... I feel like you have to feel it. You can't just look at it. If it, yeah, but at the same time, I, I believe the people who say they're feeling it. I, oh, I, no, I believe I, I, I totally believe them. I, totally I, believe, I could yeah. play Baldur's Gate 3 and have a horrible time with it. And there's a part of me that even worries that that is exactly what <laughs> oh, would right, happen. okay. Um, but I would still be like, yeah, that definitely sounds like it's one of the best games of all time. And that should factor into the uh, overall consensus on 2023. It no, absolutely, absolutely should. So let's allow for, for Baldur's Gate 3 um being one of the best games of all time that still for me doesn't do enough um so for and you like you said you've put down like some games that were in 2007 you know we're talking super mario galaxy halo 3 call of duty 4 modern warfare guitar hero 3 rock band bioshock assassin's creed mass effect uncharted portal team 4. i mean it maybe this is just a me thing but that literally blows 2023 out of the water like but uh, but I think that's helped by how you remember those games. Oh, like, 100%. But they, they literally, cre some of those games just created a standard. And I don't think anything that we've mentioned this year did that. Like, Assassin's Creed created a dynasty. Um, so did Bioshock. Mass Effect, I mean, okay, a little bit, maybe not quite as a good now, from where we're out of Mass Effect. But um, No, well, I'll no, give Mass Effect a pass. Uh you know, like modern warfare. Um, I, I, don't, I just, don't, I, I, I just think it's it's too easy because I I see it all the time, especially like not just in games but across media, and especially, 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 you see it all the time in music, where people sit there and say, "Yeah, this is never going to have the legacy that this has." It's like you just you just can't, you just don't know that. I've uh, no that, and that's that is very true. However, put it this way: every single person at one point in their life has turned sixty years old, heard what the kids are listening to, and says, <laughs> "This is bad. It won't last. It won't have a legacy." And every single one of those people has been wrong. 
through history. Uh, agreed. And I I would give to you, I think Baldur's Gate 3 and I think maybe Alan Wake 2 from this year could be games that in 10, 15 years time, people are talking about in like, you know, these these created something new. But I, even, even as someone who in that list would put Spider-Man 2 for me this year top, obviously with the ones I haven't played, I haven't played them. But at the same time, like, even, I think you can absolutely love a, love a game and think it's fantastic and be like, okay, but it's not it's not going to change anything. It's not going to be like, wow, that was the, that was the the year that I knew gaming was uh, the best it was ever going to be. Do you know what? It reminds me of a conversation I often had with a friend of ours, John Babb, who would say his favourite film was an 8 out of 10. And I'd say, have you seen 10 out of 10 films? And he said, yes. And I said, but they're not your favourite film. And he went, not at all. My favorite film is an eight out of ten. And I'm like, that I completely get. You can have Wait. you can have games. Sorry, go. On. So we just to give me sure I'm on the wrong side, right side of this. Are you saying this year is full of games that are ten out of tens that don't mean it won't mean anything to anyone, or eight out of tens that will mean something to someone, but won't it's not speak to how good they are? I'm saying that I think 2023 is a year could be could on average almost get like a ten out of ten. And you could show yeah. me another year, which which gets an eight out of ten, and you say which is the better year, and I'm like the eight out of ten year is the better year. Okay, the argument you're making now is the one that is speaking to me the most, um, especially when you combine like for as much as I tried to argue with you on the legacy front, there is an element here that when I look through some of these games, um, and I don't know if this is just because like. A lot of the a lot of games came out this year in specialized genres that mean nothing to me, especially when you're talking about like old school RPGs and fighting games and stuff like that. Um, but I, I can one thing I can concede to like to your point is that there's a lot of here games here that were incredibly good, but they were incredibly good because they weren't bad, mm. not because right. they did anything super special or ambitious. You know, they reached for the stars; they just fell short. Like. I agree with you in some respects that, like, even for as much as you know, Super Mario Brothers Wonder and Spider Man Two and Tears of the Kingdom are going to be in the are all in the nineties, I think, on Metacritic, which is outrageous. They're all just very good because they're very good. And something about Baldur's Gate Three and Alan Wake Two feel different because they're very good while being something slightly like it goes back to it goes back to what I said about Spider Man while we were talking about Alan Wake. Spider Man Two was never going to be bad. It was about how good it was going to be. Yes. Baldur's Gate 3 and Alan Wake 2 feel like they could have been bad in ways that Tears of the Kingdom and Super Mario Brothers Wonder just don't. Um, um, and and I guess, yeah, that creates a weird thing where, like, they they get... It's, I'm trying to say this without it sounding stupid, but uh, lots of games that are really, really good because they're not bad... Um, as a uh, and it pushes the average, and the whole year therefore gets the whole a gets average across yeah. the whole year. Like, up. And like, and maybe the envelope doesn't get pushed in the same way that like that the games that you mentioned from two thousand seven got pushed. And I do think that is something that we talked about before, which is that like the kind of the the vein of creativity that ran through, especially that Xbox three hundred and sixty and PS three and Wii generation, isn't necessarily here in much the same way. I mean, we literally talked about that like the first bullet point we had in sort of while looking at all the different types of genres and different gamers that were served by uh releases this year was remakes you know yeah we get to the point now where people are talking about 
whether Resident Evil 4 and Dead Space should be Game of the Year contenders when the Game Awards rolls around and does their nominations. And it's like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, you know. One of one series that we just talked about um, got so embarrassed with how numbers they were getting, they re, they came up with an excuse to reset it back to one. Yeah. Another has no embarrassment whatsoever, and so it's on 16, you know, like... Um, we're not doing, we're not, like that run you said of like Bioshock, Assassin's Creed, Mass Effect, Uncharted, like there are no numbers after any of those. All of those had their first ones in 2007. That kind of thing can't happen anymore. And that will be a mark against this year. That said, I still think that 2023 is destined to be remembered as a year stuffed with phenomenal, critically, critically acclaimed games that really ran the gamut in terms of making sure there was something for everyone. And I think, and I think that is that. important. Yeah. We definitely agree on that. I, I think as well, I think well, I could almost invert one of the arguments you made though, which is you said um, that looking from this point and, you know, it's really hard to look into the future and to say that these games are going to be ones that are remembered in 10 years, um, you know, because we don't know because we're, we're still in 2023. How can we possibly know? I think you can easily invert that and you can say, looking at games in 2023 and seeing games get 90 out of 100 and you know and more than that and suggest that they're gonna live on into infamy because of how good they are i think you could just as easily in 10 years imagine that no one even talks about any of them because we were looking at the very best cutting edge games and graphics and technology at the time thinking how amazing it was when 2024 might just do exactly the same thing and suddenly 2023 just disappears yeah but uh, i i i don't don't think i don't think it happens because i don't think a game an entire year of video games can disappear in obscurity like because the fact that we are still sat here having this conversation and talking about games that came out in 2017 or 2007 means that like there is still a relevance to a the the reason i can remember 2014 being a bad year is because i like maybe i'm just a fringe example because i'm in a weird bracket of people who are going to remember stuff more so than like i don't know an average uh video game player might but i i, I don't i don't think that there, there, there's a risk of that happen for as long as these conversations are going to keep taking place and they're going to keep taking place um you know yes I, I suppose what i mean is i think that looking at 2023 as the most recent year when we get to 2030 for example if 2023 24 25 and 26 were all like bangers in the same kind of way in that every year served uh you know different genres they included a lot of remakes and updates and like phenomenal games with phenomenal graphics you may end up just kind of 2020s in general might just blur together and end up being like oh nothing really jumped out whereas you can still remember the year that um uh donkey kong country came out because it was like yeah but i, I don't know but well, i think amazing you know what i mean yeah, I, I still think there are too many games like that, that that come out every year for that to happen. And like 2023 has got enough of them. Like when I when I look through very possibly this when I look through this list, uh, you know, I've played a lot of games on that that you mentioned uh, of the all the ones you mentioned out loud. And like I get that kind of John Bab thing. You know, the game, being reminded of a game like Hi-Fi Rush gives me that John Bab feeling. Like right. Hi-Fi Rush is like an eight out of ten game that meant way more to me than Jedi Survivor or or Final Fantasy 16 or Assassin's Creed Mirage or games like that because it was surprising and um, it played with ideas that I hadn't really seen before and it had an art style that stuck with me and a soundtrack that stuck with me for weeks, if not months, after the fact. Um, I think 2023 could have done with more games like that, ironically, games that were, you know, 
not necessarily critically acclaimed, but um, but um, but that meant something that would have helped it be more memorable. But I still think it's good enough for them. And that's the other interesting thing when you go back to 2007. Super Mario Galaxy and Halo 3 and Call of Duty 4 and Modern Warfare, they'd have all been extremely well-reviewed. Bioshock was also extremely well-reviewed. But if I remember rightly, Assassin's Creed, I would be very interested to know what the Metacritics were for Assassin's Creed 1, Mass Effect 1, and Uncharted 1, especially in the case of Assassin's Creed. and Because I, I, I vaguely remember they were series as they were series they were in their infancy there were enough rough edges and also enough ideas that just hadn't come to fruition that would in their sequels because those three right. all had outrageous sequels like Assassin's yeah. Creed 2 Mass Effect 2 and Uncharted 2 are some of the best video games of that entire generation let alone sequels Mass, um, Mass Effect is yeah notoriously I think it was Mass Effect 1 is not obviously not one of the best in the series I, Assassin's Creed changed the way I thought about games like Assassin's Creed genuinely I remember playing that number one so it's, it's funny because obviously with Assassin's Creed uh, people talk about two a lot more and then they talk about you know game, the ones that followed for me Assassin's Creed 1 literally made me think about games differently in the same way that um, uh, GTA 3 did the same thing after you know it was the first GTA game that I'd played where I was like the, my world is different now yeah and and sometimes that doesn't go hand in hand with um, with uh, you know critical acclaim. Like I'm That's trying not to very find. True. I'm just trying. Uh, oh, I was as well. I don't know if I can even uh, find. I was trying to find. Oh, I I I I found it, but I was also just trying to find like what the best. Like I can tell you, the Baldur's Gate has a 96 on Metacritic. Right. Resident Evil 4 has an, which is a classic example of a game. I was really poorly described as a game that's good because it's not bad. Has a ninety three, um, Dead Dead Space uh, has an eighty nine. I think it was. Um, so does Alan Wake two. Um, or can I tell you the Metacritic scores for um, Assassin's Creed one? I've already looked it up. But I usually you can tell the folks at home. So, uh, well, I'll give you an average across uh, PlayStation three, Xbox three sixty, and PC. Um, about an eighty out of a hundred. Yeah. And so that I, I think that's the interesting thing. The, the, maybe that's maybe that's the conclusion that I'm like leaning towards actually here in all this discussion is it's 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 the John Bab games in some respects that make years memorable, not the games that got like ninety two on Meta, not Super Mario Brothers Wonder getting ninety two on Metacritic because it's another super really good Super Mario Brothers well, Super Mario Brothers game. Exactly. I think that no, one hundred percent. I think I think you and you only need three eighty out of a hundred games that will go on to be like Jesus. That was an incredible game to make yeah. the year an incredible year. When you can have another year, which is yeah, like ninety five, ninety five, ninety five. Every game's a ninety five, and at the end of the year, or you know, five years later, you're like, yeah, that was an alright game, or alright year for games. I I, yeah. I think it's those, it's it's those heavy hitter sort of things. Do you know what it always reminds me of? It reminds me of something like not you know taking everything back to sport today on the podcast, but it reminds me of things like uh, you know football and rugby and things back in the day when you had players who weren't the who now would be nowhere near as good as the players who are on the pitch today. Right? You've got player you know like, go back to like a Maradona or people like that or, or I don't know his real name like Fat Ronaldo, like when he was playing the game. If you put Pat the, Ronaldo, is that really what we're calling? I don't know his Ronaldo. I don't know what his name is. Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo. You can call him Ronaldo. Some people call him R nine to separate him from 
Well, because Cristiano Ronaldo like kind of tried to separate himself from Ronaldo by calling himself CR7, which oh, is his name right. and his number. So Ronaldo became R9. I think his name's like... Or the 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 other word in his name that people used to identify him is like Nazario or something like that. Right, Ronaldo. I, so. I apologise to Ronaldo for calling him Fat Ronaldo. With that, I you know that's R nine. There we go. Well, R nine. Those players, I think, uh, wouldn't stand a chance against like even in their heyday against players of today who are like the best in the world. Like they would probably get dicked all over. Let's let's be honest. Of course they would. They just didn't have the training. They didn't have the nutrition. They didn't have the, all of that sort of stuff. It's a different game, etc., etc., etc. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. And I think, but looking back, where they existed at the time, they were absolutely phenomenal, and no one should take that away from them. That's I kind of feel like that with games. You you can have every game in the year could be a ninety, but it's kind of irrelevant. You don't you don't need the ninety. You just need the thing that stands out and is really special. And I think yeah, then you can't take that away. But anyway, it, it, that it's a really weird point. way of saying that. Like, if you took like the Manchester City squad right now that won um, the treble last year, and looked at like any one of those, like, could you name a Manchester City player at the moment? No, of course not. <laughs> yeah, and, but you could pick. You could take any any one of them, and they would have been the best player in the world if you picked them up now and dropped them in the nineteen sixties. But because of the way the industry's changed, or the way football in that case has changed, like. There's nothing about them that makes them special to someone who doesn't follow football, um, yes, or makes them stand out. Absolutely. So not apart an- from apart from later the, the the obvious like exception in the current Manchester City squad. I, I wonder if you recognise the name Erling Haaland. Uh, vaguely. He's the young uh, Norwegian striker who's just become the cover star of EAFC. Oh, um, okay. Um, well, and I think you could say the same thing for anything, right? What was the greatest year for cinema? What's the greatest year for football? What's the greatest year for rugby? And you could pick out, you know, you could do the same thing and it's not going to necessarily be the year where all the players are the best. Like, so a game, year for gaming is not necessarily the year that all the games are 90s and 95s. It's just, it's going to be like a, a just a year where there was a few titles that just banged so hard. And apparently, according to Wikipedia, the, um, 1939 is widely considered the greatest year in film history. They, and do you know what? I've never seen a film from 1939, so there we go. Yes, you uh, you have. I, okay, go on. You, well, I, I, I'm guessing you've seen The Wizard of Oz at least once. Oh, oh God, okay, yeah, I have seen The Wizard of Oz. And you, you might have seen Gone with the Wind. I've seen some of Gone with the Wind. Yeah. But that's probably that. Really, that's it. There you go. But no, no, hey, look, I I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying 2023 isn't the greatest year in gaming ever. I'm saying I don't think it will be in the future. I think as we look back, we will say it was good, but was it that good? And I, people in chat have said like, you know, like you need to play Baldur's Gate three. I completely agree. Um, although Classy Cat did have a good point, which was that um, uh, he said, I don't know, I would feel different because um, he got Gollum this year. <laughs> So yeah, so I like twenty twenty three gets to here based on its uh, high quality titles, and then Gollum and King Kong came out and actually just knocked down it. Yeah, reduced the whole thing right down. Well, I'm now just going down a weird rabbit hole of looking at the best years for films. Jonesy, nineteen ninety nine, and that would have probably been a great year for you, given how old you'd have been. Like you, you must remember nineteen eighty. Yeah, of course. Toy Story, Toy Story two, The Matrix. Blair Witch Project, The Sixth Sense, 
The Iron Giant, American Beauty, Talented Mr. Ripley, uh, Big John Malkovich, Magnolia, The Insider, Green Mile, Office Space. That, like, Jesus Christ, that's a good year for films. The draw that's amazing of that year as well is it's the year when um, I, w- I think I, was, I would have been like 14 or something. And it was the year. W- it was a year when I could go and see Fifteens quite happily at the cinema as well. So mm. um, anyone out there who's not from the UK, like so, UK is cinemas and anything in general where they have to ID you, they are notoriously uh, bad about like they're. Ve- or I should say they're good at checking ages and things. So even as a kid, it's very hard to was anyway. You know to go and see stuff. And I used to get into Fifteens easily when I was fourteen. So banger for a year. Uh, saw The Matrix three times at the cinema. Loved it. I wish I saw the Matrix three times. I'd have loved to. Like I, I went to see that that the Matrix. Um, oh god, I forgot this name already. Revelations? No. Talking about what was the most recent Matrix called? Uh, yeah, Re- Revelation. Is it Revelation? Resurrection. So I should. I want to clar- uh, I need to clarify. So I misspoke. Classy Cat said they he didn't get go- um, Gollum by saying if someone did or if they got forspoken then uh, they would maybe not have Man, to say I, I forgot Forspoken even came out this year. I think everyone do we, did. I think everyone do, we, did. do we add Redfall to the list of things that ruined 2023? Now, see, Redfall's an interesting one because we nearly talked about last week the fact that they're actually going to stick with Redfall and try and make it good. And if you if you saw any news this week about how well uh, No Man's Sky is doing, No Man's oh, Sky yeah. made $40 million this year against $22 million last year. So um, I think is, you know, a blo- Redfall may yet have its year. So let's wait and see. Let's wait yeah, and okay. see. Um, if, something, if Redfall becomes good, does it make 2023 better or does it make the year it came out better? The year. Because we're going to have to have that. Co- okay. So so interesting. So Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk 2.0 is going to have a positive effect on how we re- critically really evaluate the year 2020. Yeah, no. The year it came out, sorry, the year the, the year the improvement comes out is what I meant to say. So, oh, for example, okay. I would include Cyberpunk Phantom, uh, Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty, or two point I would say it goes on to twenty twenty three, not onto. Um, oh, but I don't, I don't think, I don't think people are going to be able to like remember when things got patched or like which <laughs> patch it was that made it the game that was better. Like, I think that when when. I think the Cyberpunk 2077's re-evaluation will continue and it'll be remembered as a good game. But when we get far enough removed from the patch, people are going to say Cyberpunk 2077, which came out at the end of 2020, was a fantastic video game from CD Projekt Red. But George's filth about that is you won't be able to, crit- you won't be able to critique it either because you'll look at the uh, review scores and it'll be like, yeah, it scored amazingly well. And you'll be like, no, this is filth. <laughs> you, need yeah. to re- you need to revise your history. It's, so it's some 1984 stuff. You, people are changing history by saying stuff was good when it happened well, and when it wasn't. To be fair, they will be able to go onto the Metacritic and say, hang on a second, why did the PS4 version get a 57? They're, they're doing so, God's work by um, the whoever gave it that review, by keeping yeah. them honest. Um, that's true. Not like IGN gave, giving it a scummy 9 out of 10. I, I think this year as well, though, there have been some... There have been some notable like things that, and I think this does detract from the year, even though they didn't do badly on review. Like I think st- this is going to sound mean. I think Starfield, we all hoped it was going to be a better game than it was. Like Agreed. it was very good. I really liked Starfield. I had a good time with it. I hoped it was better. That I was hoping it was going to be better than it was, and I I don't think 
that's going to do well for 2023. And a, a game like Under the Waves, which I really enjoyed, I thought was a bit of a you know unexpected one for me this year. I had yeah. to, I stopped playing because of how buggy it was and was and waiting for the patch. I think actually no way. Out now. I think maybe out now actually for a console. I'd, I'd forgotten you didn't finish that. I'd, in my head, you had finished it. No, no, I, I wait. Uh, Jedi Survivor, like I've, I'm, I've got like one mission left of Jedi Survivor, and that I'm where I'm at in Jedi Survivor. I'm like, do you know what? Yeah, it's fine as a, as a sequel, but actually, it's not. I, I was hoping it would, I would feel better about it. I was hoping I would be more into Jedi Survivor than I was, and there seems to be quite a bit of that this year. Um, yeah, Hogwarts, Hogwarts Legacy. What a fantastic. Hogwarts game what a great like Harry Potter game but it's but it's weird because it's like okay I thought it was fantastic because it was so much better than I thought it was going to be but if you said to me is it a is it one of the great best games you played this year I'm like maybe it's in the top five Hogwarts I, I don't think Hogwarts is top five for me um Fair. but yeah I have the same feeling about actually both those games you mentioned Hogwarts and Jedi Survivor um like they were both games that like I really I picked up. I remember really enjoying. I probably came on this podcast and was like, "These games are great." Um, certainly, maybe more so with Jedi than with Hogwarts. Um, but by the end of it, and I, I I didn't even finish Hogwarts. I finished Jedi Survivor though. I was like, "Yeah, it was okay. It was good. It was good. It was good." But yeah. muted. Muted. Like you say, muted. Yeah, muted. Well, we've got to wrap this up, Jamie. Um, we've somehow managed to take the driest week of the year and drag it out into the longest show we've done for a while. Um, but we made it wet. We did. That is our skill. That is our superpower. Thank you so much for everyone who has been watching us live today, uh, who has stuck with us um, to the to small hours, almost eight minutes until it's tomorrow. Kind of crazy. Um, happy Halloween. Didn't even say that at the beginning. How did I miss that out? It's Halloween time. Oh, shit. Yeah. Happy Halloween, everyone everyone out there if you dressed up if you didn't if you did nothing if you watched a scary film i watched a scary film i didn't even mention it i should have mentioned that earlier i watched talk to me which was good um my, i called my mum the other day and she was in the middle of it and said it was very good yeah it's good did, worth did it you, nice thing yeah netflix check it out um but no thank you to everybody thank you to everyone who supports us um over on patreon.com forward slash super show thanks to everyone who watches on watches us on youtube live or after the fact and make sure you leave a comment leave a like uh, all those good things it helps with the algorithm helps with people discovering us um so we don't bleed out quite as quickly as we are maybe slightly slower over the over the time um, most of all thank you to my co-host jamie the absolute legend with his new oh, no, thank you josie i appreciate it and yeah get used to the um the surroundings folks they're here to stay for a little while at least <laughs> I've, got, I've got a balcony you've got a, wow okay that's what that is that that, that oh. white is a railing i can go through this i didn't realize that was an outside door i thought that was some weird uh like stairwell or something no that's those are that's a sliding glass door and that's a balcony I didn't realize those were reflections of lights. That's why in the um, in the glass now and now you oh, said it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that is exactly reflections. What that is. Okay. Yeah, there you go. All right, uh, <laughs> spooky, spooky indeed. Well, I, I'm gonna. I could just freak you out now. Every time we record, I'm just gonna say there's someone out on the balcony. Who's there on the balcony? And you'll be like, oh, they'd have to be mighty good climbers. I'm not on the ground floor, so maybe they came down from above. That's even spookier. I mean, don't please don't. Now I will actually get. I know it's Halloween, but just we'll leave the practical jokes for another day, please. 
All right. Uh, yeah. Cheers, everyone, and we will see you. Um, we'll see you next week. Bye. Good now. Jamie, stay safe. Say bye. Oh, bye. Bye.